everybody. Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, hey, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> we froze. <laughs> Welcome to episode four of Creepy Kitch. This is Stace. Yeah, Sins is uh, shit-faced. And... I am. I really am. I apologize in advance. And I just don't give a shit, tonight. so. I swear to God, everyone's going to think I'm a raging alcoholic. Well, that's because you kind <laughs> of are a raging alcoholic. I don't know how to Only break it to I you. <laughs> yeah, but you do like two podcasts, so you're podcasting at least once a week, you fucking drunk. Twice a week. <laughs> you didn't help your case there. In my defense, um, I'm going to SCA war next week, so, you know, we're um, having a little bit of a pre-war dinner, so I have my um, SCA household over in the other room with my husband, and we had spaghetti and a bottle of wine. And another bottle of wine, and a bottle of champagne, so... I'm not the only one. You're prepping, so, uh, you're prepping your liver for next week. I am totally prepping my, my liver for, for next year. There you go. Next year, next week. Next oh, year. Shit. <laughs> yeah, we're in for a banner show this time, aren't we? I'm just gonna be slurring all night. It's good. This thing's fucking good. It's fucking awesome, and you should watch it right you should now. Watch this movie Spielberg rocks. Mm -hmm. That's what it's gonna be. Awesome. So well, the usual then. Words. So the usual then. <laughs> oh yeah, the usual. The masters of wit that we are. Oh yes. <laughs> so. Our movies tonight, our theme tonight, I guess I should say, is childhood trauma. Yes, so I, for life. <laughs> I picked a movie. My choice, my selection was Poltergeist. And Sims picked Watcher in the Woods from Disney's weird horror phase that they went through in the 70s. Yeah. And both of them traumatized us as small children. Oh, yeah, big time. I, there was other movies we could have picked, too, like um, Something Wicked This Way Comes and a bunch of other ones, but I think that Poltergeist and Watchers in the Woods are the ones that probably stick out the most as movies that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> See, there's one that scared me worse than Poltergeist, or at least equally to Poltergeist, and I don't want to watch it, so. What was that? The Blob. Oh, the original? or the Not the original, that, the weird-ass sequel that larry hagman made no shit master uh, master tony from uh, i dream of genie made a version called son of the blob in 1979 oh my god i didn't even know about that yeah and that That's combined that. with i guess the remake with uh kevin dillon just turned into some bizarre melange in my head and the problem is for me because i was really little i mean little little like we were still living in san diego when I saw this and uh, one of the guys at the time who gets eaten by the blob looked like my dad and oh, it was yeah, that would scar you yeah and and it, I haven't seen it since then and I'm frankly terrified too I've watched I've since watched the original the blob and I have no problem with that but I re <laughs> I rewatched the sequel that was made in what was it 1987 1986 uh, and yeah, 1987. and I really kind of wanted to cry at the end of that <laughs> So I barely remember anything from it. So I, I actually need to go revisit that movie. Yeah, let me let movies. me put it to you like this. This movie fucked me up so badly as a child, I couldn't go to sleep with anything red on my floor for literally five years. Okay, that's fucked up. I had a red sweater. I had to hide it in my closet before I could go to sleep. That's that's really... There's some psychosis going on there. That yeah. That's a little deep there. I was afraid <laughs> so. it would turn into the fucking blob and kill me while I ate. Or while I slept. Oh, God. Or while you ate. Or while I ate. Yeah, you never know. I bet you couldn't eat 
red jello for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, funnily, I don't remember red jello giving me a problem, but we weren't a big jello household, so I don't know that it ever became an issue. Oh, uh, okay. Well, uh, I still don't like jello. I never liked jello. Even before the blob, I didn't fucking like jello. <laughs> so. Oh, you know what I watched, though? I think, actually, you know what I watched, because we were chatting about it the other day. I finally saw Dario Argento's Phantom of the Opera. Yes, you did. And I think you're responsible for the erotic dream I had last night. Oh, my God. That movie's like a fucking Italian fever dream. Well, that kind of sums up Dario Argento anyway. I mean, Suspiria doesn't make a lick of damn sense, but but it's still a great movie. Well, the thing about Suspiria is it's actually done in this kind of stylish sort of way, and... Uh, opera or Phantom of the Opera, whatever the fuck you want to call it. it well, there's two different really... Phantom of the Opera. He did two movies, Phantom of the Opera, and there's a movie called Opera. So you got to specify. Okay, well, this is Phantom of the Opera. Right. Is what I saw, and um, it was on Hulu. So I was like, well, I'm up for it, and I watched it. It is literally a big, long string of what the fuck. Awesome. That's all it is. And I gotta I, watch that. I know a lot of people hate it. I absolutely loved it because that's all it was was a big, long string of what the fuck. It was insane. I was, there are like, there, well, Julian Sands, and then there's like these weird scenes. There's a midget in a rocket car. (laughs) There is absolutely no point for there to be a midget in a rocket car in this movie, but there is one. And I, that, that was just like, I'm like, well, you know what? This is now the best movie ever made. Yeah. It's got a midget in a rocket car. That's got to be a small cross section of movies that say I have a little person in a rocket car in them. If, if he was on fire, it would be the best movie ever made. Well, see, now you ha- really have to see the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street version of Phantom of the Opera, the one with uh, Robert England yes. as the Phantom. And it is What's essentially it is essentially Freddy in a Nightmare or uh, on in Phantom of the Opera. I mean, the the cover of it has Robert England in the Freddy makeup with the claw taking the half mask off. See, I need to see that. But, I, I remember hearing stories about. But it. see, <laughs> in this version, it's if I remember right, it's like he sells his soul to the devil for musical talent and the devil in this case is a little person who then like burns his face and so then he like kills people and stitches their skin on himself but some best movie ever but yeah so for some reason phantom of the opera and little person is like a natural match for low budget horror awesome yeah this one was uh the phantom was not deformed and was raised by rats Awesome sauce. Well, and, and Julian Sands, the rats have, you know, on the eyes. are really good at harnessing that musical talent. <laughs> rats are known for their natural musical ability. Apparently, because you know he's got that organ genius going on. So, and um, there's a whole lot of hot sex. So Maybe it's because they it. played his other organ that it became a natural transition. Oh, Christine for him. was playing that other organ. I'm just saying right there. <laughs> Finally, in one of them, the poor Phantom gets laid. The, the Phantom totally gets laid in this one. Like, in the first, like, 40 minutes of the film, just awesome. damn Phantom ass. Awesome. I'm not kidding. Awesome. It was awesome. Well, I'm, uh, I'm eating strawberries, so pardon any crunching noises that you're hearing. That's okay. And I'm I've, still drinking champagne, and you I've, probably uh, hear my friends in the back room, yeah, like, whooping it up. So that's so, okay. They can probably hear my dryer. Woohoo, <laughs> I'm so exciting. You party animal. I know. Hey, I was very productive today. I did laundry. I made wontons, I made cookies, at the same time, mind you, and wontons and cookies are both very involved, uh, you know, attempts, mm-hmm. and uh, almost finished my paper that's due tomorrow for one of my history classes, and I've already managed to shuck most of my clothing, so once again, I'm sitting here in my tank top and underpants. So you're naked. Hear that, Quincy? She's naked. Yep, just for him. <laughs> yeah, he's one of our listeners. We love you, Quincy. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to get a message now. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, 
so I like stuff oh, like that. Oh, um, before I forget, yeah. uh, we have an email address now. Yes, we do, and I just checked there. it, and there's nothing in it. Yeah, there's nothing in it. So send us an email, tell us you love us. Um, our new email is creepykitchgals at gmail.com. And it's all one word. And once again, remember, kitch to rhyme with bitch. Yeah, K-I-T-C-H. There's no S in it. on purpose. Yep. But we're the only people who get that, apparently. Yeah, apparently um, we were obviously too witty or too retarded to, you know, for the general public. So there you go. That's pretty sad when uh, making a bitch joke is too obscure for the general public. (laughs) Well, everyone thinks now we're like a um, a blog and a podcast full of uh, creepy Halloween recipes. What? (laughs) Yeah, because apparently kitsch, K-I-T-C-H, is short for kitchen. Oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Some people found us looking for recipes, oh, and that's they're like, hilarious. what the fuck is this shit? You know, <laughs> hilariously, I do have some Halloween recipes. I should put them up. Let's Maybe fulfill should, their like, obligations. Maybe we totally, like, combine that in the podcast and do, like, recipe segment, so just to, like, you know, fulfill the people who there found us There you go. So they're not like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Horror movies, fuck that! I wanted a casserole recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've got creepy mummy meatloaf or something like that. Oh, no. I actually have a whole link up to, like, making, like, great, like, uh, alien autopsy cocktails and uh-huh. shit. Well, I have a, a last year, uh, before Halloween, but not by much, there's this guy named Matthew Mead who's put out these really awesome Halloween, like, decorating cooking hints, and it's all, like, glossy color photos and stuff like that. Some of it is, like, stupidly improbable. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go out and buy, you know, uh eggplant just so that I can draw eyes on them to make them look creepy. It's just I buy my vegetables to consume (laughs) them, not as you know, decorations. (laughs) But a lot of the stuff that's recommended, like there's really cool drink stuff. There's like adult cocktail stuff for kids. Uh It's like 300 pages or something like that. It's really cool. So I could could see if he's got like a website up or something and we could just do like a weekly link to him or something. Why the heck not? I mean, people think we have, you know, we're girls because we cook anyway. Exactly. Vagina plus kitchen equals woman. See, that's why I married my husband, is because I don't (laughs) fucking cook. See, I like to cook, but the fact that, you know, I got an innie instead of an Audi, I think has absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, I just don't like cooking. I burn tea, you know, so. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah. What can you do? Smack people. (laughs) So shall we move on to the weekly fuck off? Yes, we shall. You may start. Yeah, we're actually going to do it before the show this time. Yeah, what a a novel concept, although that was a pretty funny way to go out. Yeah, it was. I I gotta admit, I I can't wait till we get, when I get my, like, full desktop, which actually hopefully will be in a couple months. Hey, all right. By a desktop desktop PC. Uh Uh-huh. And, um, I want to, like, totally, like, put in, like, sound effects, like, the weekly fuck off, you know, like, like my husband saying that or some shit. Yeah, well, I mean, lots of other podcasts use sounders. I just have absolutely no idea where to get them or how to insert them. I honestly have absolutely no clue, too, and the more I'm on this laptop, the more, like, incapacitated I become, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you need a... keep on drinking. (laughs) I think you need, like, a sounder board. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I, you know, I love all of our listeners, but I'm not spending, you know, huge chunks of money <laughs> for this podcast because I'm a well, poor ass college student. We, will. We, we should really consider doing a donation someday, but I don't feel like we have enough listeners. No, to and I always feel kind of skeevy doing that because it seems like, you know, the minute somebody gets a website up, they got their hand out begging for, for money. So I don't know. True. I mean, and, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like, you know, donations, but. I know. I just feel a little weird doing it myself. I guess we should put up a poll actually and see what people think. 
should we take your last vote yes or no? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How comfortable are you uh, with us asking you for money? Yeah, the funny part is, is there's probably not a lot of people who are very comfortable giving us money. I know, I we'll can't just imagine why. Boots and dildos. <laughs> so. No, no, no. You can make dildos for pennies on the dollar. Oh, well, true. It's called a cucumber, you got a ladies candle, and gentlemen. And the flame, open flame, everything's fine. Yeah, for, you know, a, well, I guess depending on your level of preference, a small to <laughs> large sized cucumber. <laughs> there you go. Besides, uh, I prefer vibrators. <laughs> So, weekly fuck off. Yes, you may start. Uh, well, shit. You got All nothing? Right. Um, I, actually, I do have one. Um, okay. And I honestly think it's mostly just because it's me. Uh, because I'm I'm about two days away from a week-long vacation. Right. And, and um, my brain is pretty much checked out about a week ago. I'm right. really trying. I'm really trying, people. But um, the uh, weekly fuck off for me is I work in customer service. And um, I pretty much, you know, tell people, I sell tickets and I tell people a specific spiel that, you know, pertains to the tickets I'm selling. Right. And um, nobody listens. And then they come back later and they go, well, why didn't you tell me this was blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? I did. But you were so fucking busy getting into the building and ignoring me. Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) It's like. Listen, okay, to the general public, everyone out there, here's two um, two words of advice, please. And I'm sure most of our listeners do this, because most of our listeners are extremely competent, easy, nice people. But the thing is, is two words of advice if you're dealing with anything. One, read signs. Please, for the love of God, read signs. When it says we're closed, we're fucking closed. <laughs> two, if someone at the ticket booth or the front desk, you know, front desk, or wherever you happen to be going, says a bunch of stuff, pretty much it's going to be fucking important. So <laughs> why don't you listen? Because if you don't, it's going to bite you on the ass later on. Okay? So just two things to keep in mind. That's all I ask. I don't ask for more, and hopefully we can make the world a better place. Yeah, there you go. Wouldn't that be and lovely? I am done. I used to get a variation of that all the time at Dairy Queen. Oh, God, it's such a pain in the ass. I just, I, I'm just stunned how many people will glaze over while you're talking to them. Yep. It's like, come on, people. Come on. <laughs> you're better than this. Slack. Come on. Yeah, I'm like, I know you have a college degree. I can see it in your eyes. Just fucking listen. <laughs> okay, so my fuck so. off is for what has got to be the stupidest fucking commercial in a long line of stupid commercials from this particular company. Now, I'm guessing IHOP, International House of Pancakes, is a nationwide chain, not just a coastal thing. They have this. Yeah, it's over here too. Yeah. They have this fucking ad campaign right now for I don't know pancakes. What a shock! And it's it's this for some fucking reason they're they're drawing a correlation between a stack of pancakes and people sitting upon each other's shoulders, and so this stupid fucking family comes in and it's like the you know like the daughter and then the mother and then the dad on the very top. And the actor they have playing him just comes across as this smug, fat-ass moron who, you know, he's the kind of person who shits and then wants to show it to you because he's so proud of what he did. And I, every fucking time that commercial comes in, I want to run up and push those people over as hard as I can and hopefully cause brain trauma in all of them. Is that I, like a Washington State commercial? I have, I have no idea. I mean, IHOP commercials, at least up here, are, I mean, it's... 
they're, they're usually pretty pretty fucking stupid. But this is like this is like some form of nadir of stupidity. Like like the next commercial cannot be this stupid because it will have actually created anti-stupidity. You know, and shit's gonna explode when it comes in contact with each other. And I don't know I I mean I it, it really shouldn't bother, you know, I generally try not to get too worked up about commercials because what a waste of energy. But this, there's just something about the setup and just everything about this commercial sets my fucking teeth on edge. I have to mute when it comes on because it makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> you know what you gotta do? You gotta find that commercial on YouTube and link it up to, like, I should, actually. So you can see... Suffer, bitches. So you can see the look on the fucking father's face, and you'll understand why I want to push his ass down. Is it like that douchebag look? You know, that yeah, like, <laughs> look what I did. I'm fat. I'm on top. Aren't I clever? And it's just like, oh, if I could drive a stake through your heart and cut your head off to stop your evil from spreading. And I would, I would shred pages from a Webster's Dictionary and put them in his mouth. And then put the head in facing downward in the tomb so that his stupidity could not, it wouldn't be allowed to rise after his death. I'm gonna have to say you really win this weekly fuck off. <sighs> I can't even down. tell you. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, it's a series of small inconsequential things that come together to create something that sets my fucking teeth on edge. So it's like the trifecta of evil commercials. Yes, it's, and I hate IHOP <laughs> anyway because it's overpriced slop. I mean, I went once years ago with a friend of mine, and they charged her extra for putting cheese in her omelet. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay, I'm not real impressed with IHOP. Yeah, well, you know, and IHOP isn't one of those places you go to for the food. No, you it's one of those places... Because it's kind of like a Denny's, like... Right, it's open. To say ...was you never plan to go to a Denny's, you just always kind of end up at right, Denny's. Right, exactly. It's kind of the same thing with IHOP. You just exactly. kind of end up at IHOP because uh -huh. it just happens to be there. Yeah, so, and so it just, I, fuck, I can't even tell you how badly this commercial makes me want to kill people. Specifically yeah, those people. I start getting heart palpitations when I drive past Nighthop. I went, oh, my husband's phone is in here. That's, well, that's lovely. nice. You should answer it. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's got a phone from Maeve. So, well, that's nice. Um, anyway, honey, your phone is ringing! <laughs> <laughs> Creepy catch, ladies and, and gentlemen. everyone, Creepy catch and a slice of my domestic life. There you go, right there. So. <laughs> we are the... The creme de la creme of, uh... Mark of quality, yes. people. Mark of quality. Yes. There's a lot of nothing that goes into this show. Nothing ever goes smooth on this goddamn show. <laughs> well, it would probably help if one of us knew what the fuck we were doing. I would like to point out that this is why uh, people, like, real podcasters don't want us on their show. Yeah, I can't imagine why. No, that... I shouldn't say that. Metal Mikey actually wants us on his show. Yeah, and we yeah, actually have show. to send serious love to Metal Mikey because he has given us some awesome plugs on his uh, podcast action I attraction heard his latest episode and he plugged the hell out of us and thank you metal mikey yes I we love, love you, you metal mikey and you guys should go listen to his show action attraction if only because yeah, then you can hear his adorable midwestern accent i absolutely love his accent and he's actually one of the most knowledgeable human beings in action and horror films i've ever met oh yeah well, i've actually never met him i just know him on the internet but he still is extremely knowledgeable. He's got a lot to say. His podcast is so much fun, and yeah. I love when he rants because he gets so mad, and when uh -huh. he gets mad, his accent comes out more. Uh -huh. That's adorable. And um, he's a great guy, so definitely check out Action Attraction. You can find him on iTunes. So just look it up. Totally. Yep. 
He's adorable. And he when we see you, Metal Mikey, we're going to give you a big old slappy wet kiss on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> or Cindy's just going to lick you. Yeah, I'm just going to lick you. She's just going to lick you. Just this redhead. She's not even going to introduce herself. Just this redhead will come out of nowhere. Right up his cheek. Redhead running up to you, Metal Mikey, and just licking your face. I'm just going to let you know that right now. And then when you see the big busted brunette in glasses laughing her ass off, you'll know it was us. Yeah. And then she'll lick you too. I might. She she will. She almost grabbed Darth Maul's ass. Yeah, except, except his wife would have kicked my ass. Yeah, true. So don't have your girlfriend or whatever you happen to have at the time with you, Metal Mikey, because then you won't get licked. Yeah, pretty much. So, I'm willing to do many things, but get my ass kicked for a lick ain't one of them. Honestly, I wouldn't get my ass kicked for, to lick someone either, no. I, to be honest. So. But I would do the ass kicking. Hell I'm yeah. <laughs> Some skank came up to my boy and started licking him. Pfft, fuck that noise, it's all over. Oh, I'm gonna turn it so, into a Maury Povich episode. So, we actually have a new segment we want to introduce to the podcast. Today. Yes, compliments of uh, yeah. Zombie Girl on the Cadaver, the Cadaver Lab forums. Yes, and um, on Twitter, or too, because that's where I see her because I'm never on the Cadaver yeah, Lab. Yeah, I'm not anymore. <laughs> Other than I to pop in, see. start shit over Twilight, and leave. Yeah, well, the thing is, is don't don't let that deter you from the Cadaver Lab forums. Cadaver Lab is a great podcast. Yeah, the forums are actually a lot of fun. I'm just in school and I work full time, so we're just busy. But yeah. um, check if you haven't checked it out. Um, actually, I think most of our listeners are from Cadaver Lab. I think they are actually. If you haven't checked it out yet. Cadaver Lab uh, was it CadaverLab.com? Yep, and it's one yeah. of it is easily one of the best podcasts out there. It is actually my favorite horror podcast. Yeah, out there. I think it is I mine love too. It. And now with the new format, with Johnny and, uh, uh, and Steven from JFMP. And the Dark Hours, uh, I actually love Slasher Central. That is one of my favorite new segments on Cadaver Lab. Uh-huh. Um, the Dark Hours. Yep. And, uh, He's got his own I podcast, too. Love it. Oh, I know. I'm gonna, I've, I've been downloading it. I haven't started listening to it yet, but I'm going to be listening to it probably this week. And um, it's it's awesome. So And Mike, you, you always give us help, so thank you, man. Yes. No uh, kidding. He has to, like... This anymore. He has to, like, dread when he sees uh, an email from one of our accounts. I'm sure he does like, freeze Fuck, what have these idiots done this time? <laughs> Shit! God damn it, what do those bitches want now? Exactly. <laughs> so, but, yeah, Mike is a great host, and he really uh, shaped Cadaver Lab into something really special. And it was it's great before, really but... Oh, it's great before, but it's just, it's, like, excelled into something really extraordinary right yeah. now. I, I, I love it. See, In the fact, thing... I should call his voicemail, because he called me out twice on his show. I haven't, uh... Oh, did he? <laughs> I haven't listened to the twice. latest one. two episodes he called me out on his show. Fucker. I haven't, uh... <laughs> I haven't called in for fucking ever, but... Me neither, actually. Uh, <laughs> shit, I had a point, and I don't know where it went. Never mind. That's uh, okay. We'll move on to the next segment that Zombie Girl brought up. Yes. <laughs> yes. So our new segment is the um, Weekly Girl Horror Crush. Yes, because frankly, as a horror fan, I get a little tired of, Oh my god, did you see her tits? It's like, yes, I saw her tits. I'm not impressed by tits. Yeah, um, I'm good with ass and cock. But yeah, I want to see Wang. I want to see a giant throbbing hard-on in my uh, horror movie. Problem is, is usually when you see a giant throbbing hard on in horror films, it's usually like being severed. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Bit off. Exactly. Uh, Fed to zombies. Awards. Uh, <laughs> something horrible. Or it's sentient but, and wants uh, to do terrible things to you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we decided to um, use this segment um, to pick out someone in the horror world, actor or character, that we 
uh, want to salute in being the hotness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what it's all about. Yes, so, indeed. So, um, do you have them picked out? Yes, I actually have two. One is an actor, and the other is a character. The character is an obvious one. It's Candyman. I'm sorry, but Tony Todd could read a phone book uh, to me, and it would be erotica. I'm gonna have to agree with you on that. Tony Todd has one of those amazing voices. Yes. I'm just hypnotized when he speaks. Yes, he does. He, actually, oh well, I saw Candyman the first time when I was like 15. And that was the first time I can really remember falling in lust with somebody's voice, basically. Which is funny, because yeah. Candyman scared the shit out of me, and my cousin and I had to pee together for, like, weeks afterwards. Yeah, and it's one of those movies that you watch, and in a movie in the similar vein, where you see the female kind of get hypnotized by someone, like, oh, yeah, he's so seductive and stuff. Usually right. when I see movies like that, I just kind of go... Um, okay. Right, whatever. Yeah. For some reason with Candyman, no, it really works. It's his voice. It's the voice. He's got that beautiful black velvet voice. Oh my god. It's just like, I could actually watch that movie with no picture. Yeah. It's like, the, 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 the only way that I can sort of vocalize what his voice does to me is, I wish it was a tangible thing so I could rub it on my skin. Like you velvet. Wish it was a dildo. No, you <laughs> fool. I'm talking about texture, not penetration. God, I do you need to get laid tonight or what? No, I don't. I'm just gonna keep drinking, damn it. <laughs> okay, I'm ma'am, but you, you come after me with right? that champagne bottle and I'm gone. I'm just saying. You know what the sad part is? Is my metal Marky is right. We are the most foul mouth beasts. Oh God, yes, we are. <laughs> I mean, out there, Jesus. Well, you know, it's funny. Was I was uh, queuing up our, our theme song, which is uh, uh, "Like a Bad Girl Should" by the Cramps. I was listening because you know I only play the first uh, verse and then the first refrain, and it's like that really is us. <laughs> I yeah, love the nasty way you curse. <laughs> Sad part is, is I'm sure someone's going to be all like, stoked to meet us, and they're going to meet us and be all like, oh. Yeah, pretty much. We're not the wild viragos that uh, we come across as. Oh, the leather bodice like I thought you would. (laughs) Look, the leather bodice is is fun, but it's only sometimes fun. I I don't even own a leather bodice. Well, I have a leather corset. Yeah, that's that's one more corset than I own. That's two. I have two Um, corsets, actually. I hate to disappoint all you men. I'm a jeans and t-shirt girl. I am for the most part, too, but... (laughs) <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you, you look at that lambskin corset and you look at, I mean, this, this fucker is built to last. It's all like uh, surgical steel boning. <laughs> and man, when that fucker tight laces, your titties ain't going anywhere but up. That is a lift and present garment. Oh God, yes. <laughs> all right. So what's your second choice? My second choice is, uh, and I'm sure every guy that's listening to this is going to go, ugh. But it's it's Gerard Butler from Phantom of the Opera and uh, oh, Dracula 2000. I'm sorry, that was but a good that was a good moment. I just gave uh, so. yes, I'm sorry. I see. I've 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 had a thing for Gerard Butler since Dracula 2000, when nobody knew who the fuck he was. He was even hot in that, and I didn't even like Dracula 2000 I did. that much. Oh my god, I, mean, I, I did. It's okay, but he was fucking hot. Oh god. And then when I found out he was Scottish, it was like yes, I think I came. <laughs> I don't know why, man, but Scottish accents, yes, please. It's something about the accent. And you know what? I know a lot of the guys out there listening to this are rolling their eyes, but you know what? Fuck you. You don't have ovaries. You don't understand what exactly. that Scottish accent does to the ovaries. Exactly. Ovary and plus, yeah. boy's fine. Sorry, dude. 
Uh, to be honest, you know where he got me was I liked him and I, I thought he was great in Dracula um, 2000. 2000. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm indifferent about Phantom. I kind of like it, but it kind of, I, I don't know. I've got a weird relationship with the Phantom of the Opera. Right, and I love movie. it, so. So I've got a weird relationship with it. I don't hate it, but I don't really like it. Right. I know, it's a long story. But the movie that he did it for me in, it was just the stupidest piece of shit movie you ever could see was the Tomb Raider sequel. Yes, that's the only reason I saw the Tomb Raider sequel. I didn't even know who he was when I saw that movie. Oh, I, I did. I in the a... theater, and I was like, I will fucking pay another ticket admission uh-huh. for this uh-huh. Well, and the thing that's really funny is I went with a friend of mine, and she had a thing for uh, Chris Berry, the guy who plays her butler. Oh, uh, he was Yeah, Rimmer from Red Dwarf. Yeah. And so that's why she wanted to go see it, and I wanted to go see it for Gerard Butler. And apparently, I kept squeaking every time he came on and see I'd be like, oh. "There like needs to be a movie where it's like Chris Berry and Gerard Butler, and they fight crime." Yeah, there you go. I'd be all about that. One's, I'd be all up in that room. one's a Ponchy Brit, and the other's a Rangy Scott. Will they ever get along? They fight crime. But yeah, and, and I'm awesome with that. I my, should be a my, yes, you should. It's better than what sci-fi puts out. My only th- hope with Gerard Butler's is I really hope he's not going to succumb to Kevin Bacon-itis and decide that he's too good for the horror that he's done. Um, I don't think he will. I don't think he will either, but I have no fucking use for actors who shit on whatever it is that helped get them to the point that they're at. Well, the thing is, is I don't think he'll do that just because of the fact that he's still kind of dabble i mean yeah he doesn't do horror very often but he still dabbles in that whole pop culture comic book genre i mean he knows that's his bread and butter right and he knows that's what he's going to do and yeah he's a pretty decent actor and well he and he's becoming more a list so i'm just hoping that once he you know once it's cemented that and if he does then well you know what fuck you pretty Jordan much and but you know I, I don't <laughs> think he, I, he doesn't strike me as the type he doesn't know. me either but it's not like i know the guy so i just lust yeah, after his delicious body yeah, and, and I have no use for actors who shit on their fans. It's one of the reasons why I'll never see a Russell Crowe movie. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of The only movie I really liked Russell Crowe in was Gladiator and Quick and the Dead. I loved Quick and the Dead. <laughs> you liked the Quick and the Dead? I absolutely liked that movie. <laughs> Fuck you. You're the only person on the planet who liked that you movie. suck my black dick because I <laughs> My sister saw that in the theater, and she was so pissed afterwards. It was awesome. You know what <coughs> that would have made it better? Huh? Was if Sharon Stone wasn't in it. Yeah, see, that <laughs> I've heard, actually. <laughs> Talk about a crazy-ass hoe. I absolutely love that movie, and like I said, the only thing that would have made it better is if they casted someone like Mila Jovovich. Right, yeah, Mila Jovovich would have been pretty awesome, but I think she was a little young, because didn't that come out, like, 94 or something? Yeah, it was like when I was in high school in that movie. I don't know, maybe it's my hard-on for Sam Raimi or something, but I absolutely love that movie, and I'm a big Western person. I love Westerns, and um, that movie just, I thought it was fucking awesome, and if you overlook Sharon Stone in it, Uh it's a pretty fucking awesome movie i don't think i to be fair i never sat down and watched all the way i've probably seen all of it just from watching bits and pieces of it here and there i loved it i i did i don't know if you'll like it but it's totally like my total over stylized right right and i'm just flipping you shit anyway i mean shit i own i own i own ghoulies (laughs) four so it's not like i'm in any uh yeah i i think i win on this one between ghoulies yeah i actually just bought 
a movie that I originally saw. It was it was originally released on Sci-Fi called Boo. I was telling you about it. Oh yeah. And it's it's one of those movies where I recommend it. I really do. It's a lot of fun. It's a low budget uh, haunted hospital, basically. Mm. And I love. I don't know why, but uh, cre- uh, creepy hospitals is like my favorite genre of the haunted house movie. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's not. It's not bad. I'm not going to say it's it's terrible, but it's not good. And yet, at the same time, I was like, fuck, it's out of print. I gotta get a copy of this. And it just came. And I love it. <laughs> I mean, I really do recommend it. it, it the thing, the, the, what it has going for it is it's very obviously a labor of love. Yeah. And anybody who puts that much time and effort into something, and it is watchable. So, anyway. Well, it's good. If it's bad and it's watchable, then yeah, there you go. I mean, we've totally gone off track so who's your yeah. horror crush okay so mine is actually julian sands and tell the people he, if why you don't know who julian sands is he was the um I, i'm gonna pick the most common movie he was in he was the warlock in <laughs> <laughs> i was fucking um, obsessed with that movie in middle school uh yeah i remember hearing tales of you watching that movie non-stop during oh, yeah. middle school oh days, yeah so. oh my god the commercial's on for Warlock? No, that goddamn oh. IHOP commercial! Well, oh, turn off your fucking TV! Oh, I hate you so much! <laughs> anyway, my apologies. So, so Julian Sands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, um, I actually say he is currently my horror crush, and I, I asked because cause he was in the um, Dario Argento's Phantom of the Opera. As the Phantom. And um, he, and I don't know what it is about him, I, he is so not my type. Uh, my type is the big, burly, kind of funny, cheeky, you know, funny, hairy guys. I'll right. Admit, that's my type. I, you know, which the big, burly, manly happy. dudes with a sense of humor. Yes, I love guys who make me laugh. Julian Sands is the skinny, blonde, um, I wouldn't say he's skinny, foe. he's lean. He's lean, yes. He's lean and, and all that, and he's total, like, emo British guy. There's absolutely, there is some about him that turns my crank, and I don't know why. And um, he, in Warlock, I actually found him quite sexy in Warlock. See, and, I uh, thought Richard E. Grant was the sexy one in Warlock. Well, actually, he was the one I liked better in that movie, to be honest. But he was kind of hot in Warlock. And then uh, in Phantom of the Opera, I was actually kind of, you know, I was like, well, now I understand Stacy's obsession with the Phantom and Phantom of the Opera, because he is kind of hot in this weird me, yeah, know? and um, I actually I, I respect him as an actor. I think he's actually a, quite a decent actor. I mean, everything I've seen him in, I've always and he's kind of a chameleon. I don't ever yeah. recognize him when I see him in a movie until I look him up later. Oh, really? In Rose Red, I, yeah, I, it's true. I never recognize him until after the fact. Like I didn't realize he was in that that uh, miniseries Rose Red. Oh, really? Until way after I saw it. I remember yeah. watching that and going, "Holy shit, that's Julian Sands." Yeah, I didn't even realize it was him until, like, way after the fact. Uh-huh. And, uh, he, and he was very good And I that. loved him playing a good guy. It was nice seeing him a good guy. And the one thing that I kind of, like, oh, man, was I found out on, like, I don't know how true this is, but on um, Internet Movie Database Trivia, they said he was originally considered to play Lestat in Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, wouldn't he have been awesome? Oh, my God, I would have loved that movie. I would have actually seen the appeal of Lestat after if he played him. Mm-hmm. All hands down. And that would have been, like, the fucking coolest vampire movie ever. I would have totally gotten into the whole emo vampire bullshit if he was <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. Well, so, and he, to be fair, I mean, I don't think Tom Cruise did a terrible job, but 
I, no, I, I always thought that was the strangest I, casting. Lestat was described as a tall, blonde man, and so they got a short, dark guy to play him. Yeah, I, not that I thought Tom Cruise was bad in the role. I actually, it's the only role I actually like Tom Cruise yeah, in, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. But, man, Julian Sands would have blown his ass out of oh, the Oh, yeah. And he would have had that, that sort of menace, I think, that Lestat... Because Tom Cruise was really good at doing sort of the cheerful cruelty mm. of Lestat's character. I mean, to be... To be to be honest, I don't like Anne Rice's vampires. I'm contrary to how it comes across. I'm not a huge fan of the vampire genre. Yeah, I, I like fine, like I like like three examples of it, and one of them is Bella Lugosi. But <laughs> um, but no, I I really do think he would have brought something else to the. And plus, the stat originally was European, so you know the accent would have played into it. Wasn't he I French think or something been originally? More scary. I think yeah. he would have been a scarier vampire than Tom Cruise was. Yeah, because he's, he's really good at doing this sort of blank horror, if that makes any sense. No, I know exactly what you mean. Where it's like, you look at him at first, and you're like, oh, he's so pretty. And then you look at him, and you're like, there is nothing inside, is there? He's really good at playing that kind of role. That's part of the reason why I liked seeing him as Nick in uh, Rose Red, because it proved that, you know, he could play a character with a fucking soul, basically. Yeah, where he played someone with compassion and right. kind of sweet, you know, yeah. I want to see him play more good guys. That, yeah. That's actually, um, that, that's a key I notice when I watch, like, horror films or any film, when there's someone out there, and I'm watching them, and I kind of go, God, I'd love to see them play a good guy. That means, oh, shit, I got a crush on them. Yep. <laughs> I have a crush on Brad Dwarf. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so. Yeah, but Brad uh, Dwarf is sort of easy to develop a crush on, especially if you see him in interviews. Oh, well, true, yeah. He's actually, so, like, uh, from the sounds of it, like, a really nice guy. Yeah, he sounds like just like a guy I'd want to hang out with. Uh-huh. So. All right, so those are our segments for the day. So. Yep. <laughs> Shall we move on to the films? Sounds like a plan. What should we start yes. with? Yes. Um, why don't we start with Watcher? Okay. All right. Here's some, so, uh, uh, right out the gate, here's some trivia for you. The guy who played Mike, the English hottie, Watcher you know? In Watcher in the Woods? In Watcher in the Woods, yeah. The British hottie that Jan is sort of dating. Yeah. He was in Phantom Menace. And his sister is the actress who played the dancing slave girl that rejected Jabba in Return of the Jedi and got fed to the uh, uh, Rancor. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. That's actually quite interesting. That makes me laugh a whole lot. Mike was actually a pretty cool character. Yeah, he was. I really, so, I love this movie, to be honest. I, yeah. There was there were no, like, sour characters in it. No, it was very good all. casting, all of them. So, Watchers in the Woods was actually a Disney film. Yeah. It came out in 1980, and um, it was kind of during this weird period, like we were discussing. Actually, no, it came out, well, yeah, it came out in 1980, but it says it was, the release date was 1982, so I don't know. Well, I don't, I thought, I I heard somewhere, I don't know how truthful this is, but there was something about, it was actually made in like 78 or 79, and then for some reason they sat on it for its release. And that, like, they pushed it back by a year or two. I don't remember why. Uh, and then it bombed. Yeah. And it was made during this period that Disney had that was this kind of, like, they were trying to branch out into a, you know, broader audience. So they made this horror film, quote, unquote, called Watchers in the Woods. And um, in a nutshell, it's about this family that moves to a country... Um, to the country in England, pretty much. Yeah, and a really big, girls, like, isolated, uh, yeah. like, aristocratic estate. 
yeah, it's two girls and one, and, and uh, you know, the fam, the mom and the dad, and they're a pretty, you know, normal family, and they move to this big giant house, and they're renting from this crazy old lady, played, uh, by, Betty played by Betty Davis, and um, weird shit starts to happen, pretty much. There's this, the, the oldest daughter, um, Jan. whose name is Jan. She um, starts experiencing, like, she keeps getting the feeling that things are watching her. She starts seeing visions well, in she's also, glass and mirrors and things. She's, she's creeped and, out by the forest, yeah. too, which is all around them. Yeah, so it just, and it starts to kind of escalate, and it turns into this kind of interesting mystery about the woman they're renting the, um, the house from, Mrs. Aylwood's um, daughter disappeared, and it just kind of turns into this interesting, yeah, 30 years strange before. mystery. Yeah, so basically the gist of it is is because it's like, see, I really liked a lot of the, the weird stuff. Like, like the mom and the two daughters are American, but the dad is British. And actually that actor is now on NCIS as a ducky. Oh, and, uh, um, and it's like the mom is a really successful um, children's book writer. Yeah. And then the dad is a really, really successful um, composer. He's a composer. Poser, yeah. And they're like just sort of this like happy family, you know. They've always got a joke yeah. for each other. They're and a pretty normal family, but they're the believable part. at the same time. Yeah, and um, I mean, the the only com- I I absolutely love this one. When I was a kid, this was the movie. Um, this the reason I chose this movie for um, childhood trauma was this was technically the first horror film I ever saw. Uh-huh. Technically, it's not really a horror film when you think about it. It's kind of a suspense. It's creepy. It's it's almost a haunted house story, but without the ghost, basically. Yeah, it, it is very atmospheric, but it's and it's a it's it's kind of one of those movies I used to call it kind of like the gateway drug. Uh-huh. I was maybe like you know maybe nine or ten when I first saw this movie, and I was completely hooked. And that that this movie was more or less my gateway drug into the more horror movie genre and um it's for a kid it's really extremely intense it's oh, yeah. a lot of you know in creepy atmosphere suspense um there's a lot of jump scares but the jump scares are all really justified right and um and, and i will be honest watching it as an adult i mean it still is one of my favorite movies and i really do enjoy it but watching it as an adult it's not quite as effective as it was when i was nine no years old. but you know that movie still has a hell of a lot going for it it the, does. The score. That are just, the score. Yeah, I was, are... I was watching it. Right. I watched it yesterday, and uh, and I'm watching it. And there's that open, you know, the opening credits where it's just like oh the sunlight God, shining through the trees. It's insane. And there is something that I don't know if it's human vocals that have been manipulated, or if it's uh, just an instrument that's really good at mimicking human. But there's that like ah ah thing that they put in, and it just. Oh, yeah still raises all the hair on my neck. The and opening is actually quite interesting because the whole credit opening scene really just shots of trees and of the forest. Right, and the sunlight kind of through the trees. Rent. And the score is, I, I honestly think that's one of the most, the great, one of the better parts of the film. Not like the best part of the film, but I think it's, it's a really thing and like kind of sets hey, the mood uh, perfectly. Hit your microphone, would you? You're kind of what was that? You're you're getting all uh, mechanized and you're dropping syllables. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> you hear me now? No, nope, oh. tap it again. Hello? Okay, there we go. Better? Yeah, much better. All right. So, <laughs> so you're talking about the score? So, anyway, I was saying about the score, what was so interesting about it was there was this, um, what I love about that whole opening sequence was there's this whole 
um, this music box theme that's throughout that's yeah. played throughout the entire film. And I've got a story and about that. Inter- actually, remind me. Yeah, and it's interspersed with creepy dis dis like just you're, you're breaking up again, dude. <laughs> hey, can you hear me? It's I can hear you. You're breaking it's, up again. Got all my uh, my reception all fucking today. I don't know, and so. But we'll just kind of work through it. Okay. <laughs> through it, damn it. <laughs> but like I was saying, the um, the score, that whole opening sequence is that beautiful music box theme, and it's uh-huh. interspersed with these amazing moments of discord and things that are completely undisturbing yeah. to that theater. It's like tranquil and disenchanted in discord and it's all it's showing is shots of trees but it's really well done well and it's very good of conveying a sense of menace in the trees yes which is interesting because really i mean and and again as usual we're going to spoil the shit out of this the because when you really look at it there are no bad guys in this movie Huh? There's no villain, there's no mass killer uh-uh. or entity. It's just atmospherically weird. Right. And then and then most of it I think is the suspense of trying to figure out what the hell happened to Karen. Cuz basically Karen is Mrs. Aylwood, Mrs. Aylwood's daughter who disappeared back in I don't know. They said it was 30 years so it would have been the 40s that she disappeared. Yeah. Roughly. Right, like right after the war. Yeah, it was right it was after like World War 2 because she, Mrs. Aylwood said that her husband died in the war. And uh and so Karen, on it was supposed to be the night of her 17th birthday, sneaks out of the house, and her mom is kind of freaking out because she this isn't the kind of stuff that she does, and there was an eclipse the night that she disappears. And so she figured maybe she went to the chapel to see the eclipse. Well, it turns out Karen had been invited into some kind of weird-ass secret society that her friends had put together. It's, I think, honestly, the reality of it was very harmless. Oh, I don't think that there was any secret like cults. No, I don't think they. they I don't think they all. summoned anything or anything like that. I think it was just pure fucked up coincidence, basically. Well, yeah, in the, it was pretty much kids playing so, games and yeah, saying, oh, "We're a secret society." Right, and so the the they had no fucking clue what they were doing. Right, and so the the three friends are standing around her. They're holding hands, and she's blindfolded, standing up on this, I don't know, column pedestal or something, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's blindfolded, and in the middle of their little ceremony, lightning hits the chapel, and the bell that the, the huge bell that Karen was standing under came down, and everybody is, and then the, the chapel caught fire, and everybody assumed Karen was killed in the fire, but they never found a body. And Tom Colley, one of the people who, you know, one of the three friends who I think really was damaged the most by this, since he's he he grows up to sort of become like this weird drunk hermit out in the forest, but he says, yeah, he's like this. Yeah. He says later on that he looked, and when the bell came down, Karen wasn't there anymore. And so now Jan and Ellie, the two girls, are in the house that Mrs. Aylwood lived in with Karen. She has since abandoned the house and lives in the cottage that's next to it and is renting the house out to them. And Karen is the, or Karen and Jan are about the same, or would have been about the same age. I mean, yeah, they're both about seven. Right. I mean, when Karen disappeared, obviously, since it's been like 30 years, but they they have a bit of a a resemblance to each other. They're both blonde teenage girls. 
And um, Jan keeps seeing Karen showing up in weird places or signs from Karen. And Ellie keeps hearing her. And she'll, she, she's doing a lot of sleepwalking and uh, backwards writing and stuff like that. And you find yeah. out over the course of it that this is the entity, whatever it is, that accidentally swi- switched places with Karen. And so Karen is essentially trapped in this entity's dimension, basically frozen in stasis, and has been for 30 years. And the entity wants to go home, basically. And the entity mm-hmm. has been trapped here for 30 years. And, and it really seems like kind of a bum deal, because I don't get the impression that Karen is aware that time has passed. No, I don't think she did at all. In fact, I don't even think she aged at the end. No, at she, least it she looked didn't. like she didn't age she at hadn't. all when, they, when she appeared. And, uh, spoiler, by the way. Yeah. Spoiler, sorry. Well, I, I said we were going to spoil the shit out of it. I know, but, but never, it's uh, never so. But basically... Um, I, I really feel for the entity because the entity has been aware of time passing. Yes. And I tried to read the book years and years and years ago. I think I was a little too young for it. I actually want to go and read it now. But in the book, the entity was just another girl who was the same age as Jan and Karen. And, uh, but she basically lived in a dimension that was essentially the other side of the mirror. And so whenever you got to see glimpses of whatever they were doing, they were always moving backwards. And yeah. so when the eclipse happened, it's like the polar- the magnetic polarity flipped or something, and the two just happened to be in exactly the wrong place and switched places. Yes. And so, you know, basically this entity just wants to go home and has been attempting to explain that through the movie and has been scaring the shit out of Jan and Ellie in the process. I know. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a really beautifully atmospheric film. Uh, like I said, I think it's a really good gateway film. Uh-huh. So if you are young and you want to, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's going to be that many 10 year olds listening to. I would podcast. really, really hope not. Do you have any, like, young relatives or anything that want right. to start the films? I think this, this is a great This gateway. would be a great movie for, like, a 12 year old uh, slumber party. Oh, yeah. I actually look back on it more on uh, nostalgia. Um, type of way because of the fact that it had such great memories of being scared and and it's a really good film to startle a young person without you know freaking them the hell right, out. Right, but and there's I no was shit when I was young. There's no slasher killer. There's no blood. No, nothing but like that. It's really atmospheric, and I think this is one of the movies that made me fall in love with that atmospheric. Right, right. This was actually one of my favorite movies to watch as like preteen into teen, and it drove my kid brother crazy. He never wanted yes. to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching this a lot of times. It was me and a friend, a childhood friend named Lena, and we were really young. And she was more of a horror film person than I was when we were really young. You know, her mom was really into horror films. She was really into horror film. She was kind of my I- intro into right, horror films. Right, right. And um, this was the movie we used to watch together all the time because this was the movie I could handle right. mentally because chicken shit when I was a kid. Oh, I was and, just as um, bad. It was, you know, it was one of those movies that I really loved and it just was creepy and uh, it's amazingly shot and some of the moments in it, like um, throughout the film, a lot of things that are kind of, you know, the um, theme going through the creepy theme is with mirrors and glass Yeah, where um, things would happen, like glass would crack. Or and it always, it always goes into it, cracks into a triangle. 
Yeah, it cracks in a triangle, and then you see Karen's reflection, and Karen's always blindfolded, and she's screaming. She's saying, help me, help me, yeah. But she's obviously screaming, help me, help me. And and it's beautiful. I mean, it's visually stunning, Uh and... Well, she's got her uh, but, hands pressed up against the glass, so, like, you can see her fingertips flatten. Yeah, and then if she's not, if her hands aren't pressed up against the glass, she's, like, reaching out right. trying to grab something. Like, there's a whole scene where they're in the funhouse, and uh, Jan, who's our main character, she's our girl, she's um, going through the funhouse and just enjoying the funhouse mirrors and stuff in that typical 70s sort of way. Right. And uh, she walks through, and, and she comes it's into the that maze mirror of, maze. Yeah, the mirror maze. And all the reflections of her turn into reflections of Karen, and right. Karen is reaching out, and she's in, and I don't know what it is about the way Karen is dressed, but she is, um, she's in a white dress with this almost like white blonde hair and a blindfold, and they put her in this stark light where she's right. reaching out. She's very and, desaturated. And mouthing, you know, help me, and reaching out to her, and it's just reflection upon reflection upon right. reflection. Right, extending into her. infinity. Exactly, and it's really fucking creepy. Yeah. I mean, even as a 34-year-old, I'm looking at that, that going, ooh. Well, yeah, and yeah. you can see Jan's you getting know? more and more panicked because she starts to spin and look at all, and she's not reflecting anymore. But the what's really, this is so stupid, but when I was little, I, so actually, I guess I must have been younger than I thought, because the first time I ever went to Disneyland, I was 11 years old. Yeah. And I was well-versed in this movie long before we went to Disneyland. And you know the part where you're in the haunted mansion and they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. You'll see this, you know, this chamber has no windows and no, no doors, which, you know, begs oh, yeah. the question to find a way out. Of course, there's always my way. And then the lightning flashes and you see the hanging body. I was fucking convinced. I don't know why that that was Jan in the, the maze spinning. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't even know where you got that idea because that's a I know. I mean, it's it's clearly a skeleton, but in my little diseased brain, I saw Jan spinning in a panicked circle in the mirror maze. <laughs> this movie had an effect on you, didn't it? Evidently. Well, and then here's here's uh, story number two. This has nothing to do with Watcher in the Woods, but it does have to do with the mirror maze. We had a, a we have a really big uh, fair that comes through. Really, I mean, big for our, uh, a town our size, because we're on the um, the main rodeo circuit. So the last uh, sort of hurrah of summer during uh, Labor Day weekend is when the fair comes. And, you know, it's a big amusement, you know, that your usual gamut of make you puke rides and, you know, take all your money fairway games. And and they they have a lot of little fun houses and they have one that is set up. It's supposed to look like a like a, a New Orleans party house, basically. It's got like the little wrought yeah. iron railings and everything. And Lucas and William love that. And it's one of those things where, you know, you get on and you can get down and go back through, you know, a million times. There's never a line for it or anything. And the first thing in there is a mirror maze. And Lucas takes off full tilt boogie and slammed. He fell down. I'm standing outside laughing my ass off. And so, you know, he kind of, you know, grins sheepishly and then he goes through and he comes out, he's got a big old raspberry on his forehead because he's, oh, I mean, he shit. was going full bore. So I told him, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, Lucas, you can't run in a mirror maze, okay? He's like, okay, okay. And he goes in and he fucking does it again. Oh, shit. And I mean, he hit, he hit that thing loud enough. He had two big old red marks. The second time his eldest brother, Jacob, who is now 17, saw it and 
I thought Jacob was going to pee himself. He was laughing so hard. And, oh my God, and, this, so and the thing is, is he hit that thing so fucking loud. I'm standing probably 10 feet away from it. I could hear it. He hit it so loud. He roused the carny. You know how hard it is to rouse a carny? It's pretty fucking hard to rouse a carny. I'll be the first one to mention that. And he comes up to me afterwards. He goes, ow. I'm like, did we learn a lesson? So I was repressing giggles the whole time she was in that mirror face. Oh, my God. Waiting for Ellie to run. Crash into it. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not go into mirror face. (laughs) Not at full speed, you don't. No, you don't. But anyway. Oh, my God. And one thing so, that, that was really good, too, was I really like the character of Mike, who's sort of Jan's romantic lead. Oh, you know what? He was actually one of the few romantic leads in, in a film like this that I didn't find annoying. Yeah, because I it's like... I actually found him quite endearing and charming, and I can see why someone like Jan would fall for him. Right. Because he was very sweet. Well, and he was older, yeah. you know, he was in college, and... Because she says, his mother says, you know... He's been my strong right arm since his father died. I wanted him to stay on at college, but he came home. So, you know, he's probably a couple yeah. years older than she is. And, you know, he rides motocross and he knows how to ride horses. And, you know, so he's, you know, he's got that oh, yeah. sort of alpha male appeal. And the fact that he's not hard, you know, bad looking at all. Well, he's not hard on the eyes. And he's obviously very much, I mean, throughout the film, you definitely tell that he gives a two shits for Jan. He's obviously not, you know, out for some booty. Right. And he's, um, you know, he really does give a shit. And that's kind of what part of the appeal was for Mike. And I can understand, like, like I said, it's one of the very few characters in that type of archetype in a film that I found appealing, where usually when it's like the love interest, quote unquote, that the female falls for can usually be kind of an either two-dimensional or a fag. Right. Well, and he yeah found appealing. He did a really good job too of sort of balancing between being too skeptical and being too naive. It's like you know you could tell he was skeptical, but he knew she wasn't crazy. Yes, exactly. There wasn't any. You're crazy. Right. Call the doctor. Now I'm gonna go. And and which you see so often. Right. Yes. You're crazy. I'm breaking up with you. Now I'm gonna have sex with your slutty best friend. Yes. Well, it's a Disney film, so obviously you wouldn't do that. But <laughs> no, but that's usually how those type play out. Well, exactly. And one but thing anyway. too that I really liked is when, so at one point Mike takes Jan and, and her little sister Ellie, and Ellie is played by Kylie Richards, who was a oh I can't remember her name, the little girl that uh, girl in, the Halloween films. in Halloween, yeah, that uh, yeah. Uh, Lori ends up babysitting. Ones. No, no, she's just she's only in the first one. She was in the first one? Yeah, she's the little girl. Oh, that... I thought she was... I got confused. I thought she was the one in the clown suit in the other films. No, 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 no. That's Danielle Harris. She's like our age. Oh, okay. I'm totally... Well... No, those were yeah, from like the late age, 80s. So. But... Okay, um, I'm retard. Never mind. But Sorry, Kylie but Richards anyway. is... I, I think she she was a great child actress. I don't know if she's acting anymore, but she's Paris Hilton's aunt. Yeah, we were talking about that uh-huh. sassy cast, actually. Yeah, her, she, and the blonde girl from Escape from Witch Mountain are sisters. And then their third sister you know is Paris Hilton's they, mother. They look alike. Yeah. So I see that. I could totally see that now that you mentioned that. Oh my god, that's a trip. And I'm such a bitch because I'm watching it and I'm like, do you think Paris is pissed that someone in her family has talent? Oh, I'm sure she is, but you know what, <laughs> Paris... 
Suck my ass. I really don't care. Yeah, Actually, no, I don't want her to suck my ass because God knows what's on this. No, lips. are you kidding me? She's got herpes. Ugh. It's been proved. She's got. I know she's she's riddled with with STDs. Does you he... can just tell. She's she's riddled with herpes yes. and cold sores and shit. And oh yeah. So uh, anyway. But yeah, that that really cracks me up that that's Paris Hilton's aunt. Yeah, well, at least she has talent. So yeah. that's the good she's part. She's a really cute. She was a really cute little girl. And in Paris Hilton's defense, I did like her in Repo the Genetic. Yeah, opera. she was and really good in her. If she would just quit so, showing off her vagina. Yeah, I mean, just keep the badge covered, honey. There needs to be some sort exactly. of Exactly. I don't, I don't need to see your fucking axe wound all the time. Thank you uh, and nobody, good day. Yeah, nobody needs to see that, darling. Exactly. Just, just cover it up every once in a while. Nope, it's called, nobody's going to fault you for it. It's called self-respect. Yes. Once you get a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, anyway, next so up anyway, on the Paris cast... <laughs> Next time we're gonna talk about her match some more. Yeah, because so. who can't? Who doesn't get enough of that? But no, anyway, I do because I'm over it. So. But in Watcher in the Woods, essentially, what happens is is Jan is able to figure out what happened, and they are able successfully at the end to uh, bring Karen back, and she hasn't aged at all. And so it yeah. it was kind of yeah. nice because you really saw that all of these everybody involved, from her mother to her friends, were obviously very badly shaken, even now, thirty years later. Mm-hmm. I gotta give, um, Mrs., um, was it Altwood? Mrs. Aylwood? Aylwood, thank Mrs. Aylwood was played by Betty. Betty Davis, yeah. She was kind of the big name in the film. Yeah, Betty Davis played her, and and she was kind of the big name in this film at the time, other than, um, was it Laura, uh, Holly, or no, Holly Lynn Johnson? Yeah, who played Jan. And the reason she was famous was she was the lead in that movie, Ice Castles, which I've never seen. I've never seen it either, but I've heard people talk about it a lot. (laughs) Excuse me. But um, Betty Davis was actually quite good in this movie. Yeah, and, you know, this um, was this was the first movie I ever saw Betty Davis in. Oh my god, it was the first movie I saw Betty Davis in, and she fucking scared the hell out of me. I was gonna say, she's terrifying looking in this movie. She is a very fucking old lady. I'm sorry, but she is. She was like, she got the bug eyes, and she looked like 50 miles of Well, and she looks like, she started. looks like pissed off and like half poisoned, you know? <laughs> like she's... She was, yeah. She's she just affecting her muscle memory. Well, and I'm oh, sure part God. of it is is they played it up. I mean, obviously she's supposed to look like a broken, scary old woman, but yeah, I mean she was supposed to look bad. But the thing is, is Betty Davis and her she did not age well. Let's let's be honest. The woman well, did not age well. I don't know that. It, I don't think it's necessarily that she didn't age well. I think it's more like she wasn't afraid to be seen as hideous. I yeah, mean, well, you know, when, for that because if you've seen some older footage of her, yeah. after Watchers in the Woods, she obviously did not have a problem being. But hideous. at the same time, I saw her in a movie that came out just a few years before this called Burnt Offerings with uh, Oliver. Shit, I forget his name. He played Porthos in the uh, Three Musketeers movies. Oliver uh, Platt. Oliver, no, Platt. no, no. Oliver Platt's the guy from. Uh, Flatliners. Well, Oliver Platt's the guy who played Porthos in the Three Musketeers. I swear to God, I have a big crush on him. Hang on, we got to look this up. Because I think fine. Oliver Platt is the is is an actor now. So hang he on. Is. No, 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 no. This is no, no. Okay, well, you know we're thinking they're Oliver Reed. That's it. Not, oh, not, okay. not the Porthos from the current Three Musketeers. The one from like the early '80s with uh, what's his name is D'Artagnan. I stand corrected. That was fucking weird. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Oliver Reed, I do believe his name is. He was. Uh, Porthos in the like late seventies, early eighties, Three Musketeers. Oh, all right, I, I 
will agree with you on that. And uh, yeah, Oliver Reed. But uh, you would totally recognize him if you saw him. In fact, did you ever see The no, Brood? I know exactly who you're talking about. Right, okay, okay. But anyway, he, uh, she was in it with them, and, uh, and this movie was actually made a couple of years before Watcher in the Woods. And she's like at the, I mean, she, she, um, that's what I'm looking for. I don't know. She, fuck, I'm so tired. <laughs> it's the end of the quarter. Can you tell? She basically oh, becomes can't. sicker and sicker toward, through, through the movie. She degenerates. That's the word I'm looking for. And, uh, yeah. but at the start of the movie, you know, she's just like a happy with an old, you know, old lady and, and she looked fine. I mean, her face is craggy as hell, but she's like she was like nine hundred when she was doing these movies. So, well, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and so, I really do think that, like with Watcher in the Woods and whatever happened to Baby Jane and movies like that, I think she sort of relished in becoming sort of a, a horror, you know? Yeah, well, the thing which I love was she was a crazy old bitch, and I think that's why I had so much respect for her. Oh fuck yeah, she was awesome. Was. Oh, she was awesome, but she wasn't crazy like Joan Crawford crazy. Like No, but that's uh, part yeah, of half the fun of watching her and Joan Crawford go head-to-head in some of their movies. Oh, my God, we got to do no, whatever happened to Baby yeah. Jane. Yeah, I'd put my money on, uh, I'd put my money on Betty Davis, man. <laughs> Betty Davis will wipe the floor with that old bitch. I'm sorry, but that, that's, that's where my money goes to, so. Well, there was but some. Betty Davis was terrifying in that film. She right. Was, I mean, she wasn't a villain. She wasn't evil, but there was something really off-putting about her. Well, she movie. was she was very obviously damaged by the loss of her daughter. Well, yeah, she, it obviously devastated her, and she it read well. And I mean, you know, it, that does read to the quality of acting of Betty Davis. I mean, she's a really good actress, and that you know, it, it really showed in her um, acting there that she she was obviously heads and toes above everyone acting-wise, I think, in that film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing and, is, is the other actors weren't bad. I mean... No, they didn't suck. Everybody I mean, was, a, was perfectly... I've pr- about Holly Lynn Johnson, and I'll go into that later, but, okay. but Betty Davis was fantastic. So there. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I thought you were still talking. <laughs> I'm done, I swear to God. <laughs> no, I, I really... Uh... I have nothing but respect for that woman, to be perfectly honest. But there's supposedly a story about uh, how when Joan Crawford died, when somebody told Betty Davis, all she said was good. (laughs) That surprised me. The bitch is ruthless. Oh, yeah. She was, like, evil. angry bitch. Let's see what was... No. Oh, uh, Joan Crawford and Davis had feuded for years during the making of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in 1962. Betty had a Coca-Cola machine installed on the set due to Crawford's affiliation with Pepsi. She was the widow of Pepsi CEO. Joan, oh, you know that scene where Baby Jane's kicking and that one character in the face? She's really kicking oh, her yeah. in the face. That oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, like, beating the shit out of each other, basically. That's why I love that movie. It's just awesome. You just It's just watching two old broads beat the Who shit out of each other. Who hate each other, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't so, find uh, that. The only complaints I have to say about what I have uh-huh. is, uh, and they're, they're kind of for me um but there are problems that as an adult i remember i i spotted you know watching revisiting the movie Uh was well the first one was the terms of it just as much as disney wanted to make kind of this horror film they weren't willing to kind of make that leap right and and there was i wanted further 
and a lot. I mean, I'm not saying go blood and guts and slasher because this is not a blood and guts and slasher type of film. Right. But it needed to. It just needed one further step to get to that scary point. I felt, and that it never really quite crossed that line that I felt would have made it into that oh my god, you know, type of scary. So, what do you think they should have done? You know what? I need to watch the movie again to really put my foot on it. But there was something about it where it, it like, it, there were moments of total perfection, like the glass breaking and the the funhouse mirror scene and the wind blowing through. And all, all, it, there wasn't enough atmospheric creepiness going on. It felt like I don't know. There was something about. I, you know what? I need to watch the film again. But there was something about it that I just wanted them to go one step further and go a little darker. Not a lot darker. I'm not saying make it a big, dark, you know, rated R film. But right. it just needed to make that one inch further where it needed to not be so always sunshine and light in certain scenes. I mean, right. there were great, you know, happy family, which was obvious. And that was very important to the atmosphere of the film. But there just needed, maybe, you know what? Maybe if they made a little bit longer and, and did a little more character development with the family and stuff, because everything seemed abrupt. Well, the thing is, is this movie actually had problems with that. The beginning and the ending were not filmed by the, the director who did the majority of the movie. Because originally, and you can, uh, you can see it on uh, the DVD, they put it into the uh, deleted scenes. Yes. Um, there was a whole thing where Jan's, Jan and Ellie's mother was much more involved in in the the climax yeah. of the film and also um basically she had it's like like an alien ship has come for the entity and yeah. um and she actually has to go aboard the ship and save her daughters basically but well, i see yeah that that would have been a little more interesting but there was something about there was it just for me i felt as an adult as a child or younger. Right, right. I, I had no problem with it at all as a child. No, but as but as an adult, I kind of wanted that extra step just to make it like, you know the difference between a GPG and PG-13 film? Right. I wanted it to kind of dive almost into the PG-13 Right, and the problem area. was, was at the time PG-13 didn't exist. So Exactly, and, and honestly, you can kind of tell by watching the film, it's the one flaw of the film. It's not like I said, it's not horrible. It's not going to ruin the film for you. But there's a part in the thing about it is there is this hesitation you feel through the entire film of, are, should we go there? No, let's not go there. Right. Should we go to this creepy place? No, let's not go to that creepy place. There, and, you know, because it's Disney and it's their first venture into that realm. And you can kind of feel that through the entire film that there's not this, there's this hesitation to not go that extra step and it almost makes me i mean honestly i'm not a fan of remakes and all the time some i like some i don't but it almost makes me want someone to grab the resource you know the source material and remake the film and kind of go that extra creepy step i'm not saying and make it a blood fest i'm just right, saying right. go that extra darkness just that touch that little bit you know yeah i can kind of see where you're you're coming from like if the movie had been maybe 20 minutes longer they exactly. could have they could have just like maybe just teased out just a little bit more so it wasn't yes. this scene ends now we're at this scene now we're at this scene so there would have yeah, been a little bit more I, of a flow it just needed that yeah it needed like maybe 10 or 20 more minutes to right, just kind of get right. that extra well, atmospheric feel. it's really too bad i know that with the dvd release i think it's anchor bay i think 
um, Anchor Bay, I think. Put, who put it out, wanted to actually make an extended version, but Disney wouldn't give him permission. It's a shame, too, because I think it would have been great. And I've seen the alternate endings, and honestly, I think the cinematic ending's the best one. Yeah, I agree, but it still would have been nice to have had it in the, you know, have the cut that the director himself envisioned yeah. originally. I agree. The other problem I have with the movie was Spiner and this is because I'm a theater person, was fucking Holly Johnson's acting range is really nil. I'm sorry. See, I don't think that's necessarily the case, though. I have a feeling that uh, um, part of it, I, I don't know how many movies she had done prior to this, but I don't think it was that uh -huh. many. And so I wonder if part of it is just insecurity. And plus, I, it has to be intimidating as fuck to act against Betty Davis. But, and I will give her credit that I'm not saying Holly and Justice is a bad actress. I'm just saying this film in particular, she, she I, had her calm and quiet or screaming. Right, and, but, like but there were a couple of scenes where she was really natural and it came across great. Like there was the scene yeah, where Ellie uh, scares her with the mask. Yes. That whole scene was great. I mean, it totally played like a couple of sisters tormenting each other, basically. No, I, I will give you credit for that. I will. I do think that the scenes between the sisters felt really natural. Right. Because I, like I mean, I, I have a sister, and and that's that rapport was very you know natural. Right. But I think the the part that annoyed, I think the only part that kind of made me go is uh, was the scene where she goes and confronts Tom. <laughs> I was actually thinking of that. It wasn't Tom Call, or yes. is it? Is it Tom, she or did goes, you mean uh, the other guy? Yeah. Oh, what's the rich guy living in the I house? Call, I, the rich guy. Who's who's the rich guy? Shit, I just forgot. Tom Colley was the crazy guy. Okay, not the crazy guy, Tom Colley. I'm talking about the rich guy, the guy who was kind of the leader of the right, right, which is hilarious because I was thinking when I I was think I was actually thinking of that while I was watching it because she basically just goes in and like starts screaming at him. It is. It's she just shut the house and then she starts screaming at him like. Right, and rather understandably. It's like, you know, if some chick... It's five minutes of two people screaming at I'm like, are there any variations? Right. there's no build-up. It's literally like, show your door and I'm going to scream at you. Well, and that's the thing that just... Hang on just a second. I can tell you. See, Tom Colley. God damn it, would you scroll down? It wasn't Tom Colley. No, Tom Colley was the crazy guy. John Keller. John Keller, yeah. that's what it was. Well, she goes and confronts John Keller, and they're literally having this scream fest right in front of the door, and she's, like, frenziedly screaming through these lines that are kind of like, you don't need to scream that line. You don't need to scream that line. Right. It's well, and it's just, like, ridiculous. it's funny because when I was little, that scene always made me feel kind of anxious because, you know, the two were very much at odds with each other and now that I'm older it's like dude if some chick came out of nowhere and got all up in my face like that fuck I'd have told her to get lost and threaten to sick my dog on her too I know but it just seems so funny to me it just seemed like there was no variation it was literally like I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna tell you to fuck off like right well you could make the excuse up. for the scene too that she was nervous like, well, yeah, there's no polite way to say, so, you know that chick who you, you know, helped make disappear 30 years ago? Can we talk about her? It might have been a combination of the acting, the directing, and the screenwriting of that scene. Right. But, 
my answer was a combo of that, but there was something about that scene that made me just start laughing because I was like, what the hell? You're just going to show up and harass this I did the guy. same thing. I did that. I was like, shit, she's just up in his face from the get-go. She was like, you killed him. <laughs> I need to talk to you about this and you're going to talk to me, damn it. <laughs> Why? You're going to sing? Okay, I'm going to get on my bike and pedal away. <laughs> so, uh, what would you give Watchers in the Woods overall? I would say, um, if you have any childhood affection for it, buy it. I'm planning to. Um, if not, at least give it a watch. And it's it would be a great film to, like, watch with maybe your older kids. I would say give it a watch for nostalgia shake. If you are a jaded uh, horror fan, you're not going to like this film. No. I'm just going to flat out say it. If you are a big jaded horror fan and you've liked horror since you were, like, eight years old, you're going to be bored to shit. With right. This film. If you're looking for a gateway drug, or you have children who are interested in the genre, this is the film to show. Right. You. And also, um, gorehounds aren't going to get anything out of this. Oh no, gorehounds will not like this movie. Uh -oh. If you're a gorehound, just skip it. Seriously. I mean, I love it, but it's it's made for kids. It's very obviously right. made for children. And if you're a jaded horror film, just just move on. Right, exactly. <laughs> but if you're not, and you like creepy atmospheric stuff, and you like that childhood nostalgia of that time, check it out. It, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And like I said, I'm going to buy it, because I think it's just a wonderful atmospheric, you know. And, and I have a lot of my childhood tied up in it, too. I agree. I have a lot of my childhood tied up in this movie, too, which is why I think I still like it as much as I did. Like, if I, was, if I watched it today... I'd probably be like, oh, okay, well, it was entertaining, but, yeah, whatever. But the thing is, is I have a lot of childhood ties tied into this film, and I, I love it so much and have such great film memories about it, of it being a really fun film to watch, that I still have those memories connected to right, it. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, it, one thing I have to say for it, it has a really, it, it has a solid atmosphere. I mean, oh, if, if, yeah, you're a, if you dig movies with, with atmosphere, this would be a, a good, you should give it a watch. Um, definitely, hands down. And also, uh, <laughs> this is funny, but I was obsessed with that piece of music, the music box piece. Oh, yeah. And I actually have used that to put generations of uh, children to sleep with. Seriously? <laughs> that was my, my default uh, song. I would hum that while I was rocking, you know, various nieces and nephews when they were babies. And it That's would, kind of soothing. It, would put, them, it would put them to sleep every time. And here's, <laughs> here's the embarrassing part of it. I started humming it, um, I started humming it initially just because I liked it, <laughs> but it, for a while, I went through a phase from about, I'd say, nine to about 15, where I got so pee shy in public bathrooms, it was not even funny, I would hum that, <laughs> I was trying to pee in a public bathroom, because that was the only way I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> that once upon a time I was pee shy. So everyone, go rent this film and listen for that song. And when you're in a bathroom, and if you hear someone humping that, you know who it is. <laughs> no, I got over being pee shy a long time ago. Actually, you have because you totally peed in front of me, like my first, our first meeting. Please, I pee in front of everybody. You totally dropped trial right in front of me. I was yeah. Like, oh well. You loved you just it. Came to my house. <laughs> you loved it, and you know you did. Oh yeah, because you know I'm so into that. Yeah, don't tell lies into the golden showers. Gross! <laughs> so shall we move on? Yes, I think we shall. Alright, so 
your film, Poltergeist. Yes, Poltergeist was the source of unrelenting terror through my childhood. And to be honest, I think it was a source of a lot of unrelenting terror and a lot well, of Well, yeah, I know uh, Erica over on Night of the Living Podcast, like, you can't even say the word around her. And yeah, the, I noticed that. This the, the podcast, I have to say P-Geist. P-Geist, yeah, or uh, uh, apparently, I don't remember who it was, but she was file swapping with somebody and he sent her the Carol Ann's theme. She was uh, not, she uh, was, uh, she I was not abused, apparently. What's well, a fucking scary movie. Oh, yeah, and so. my problem, too, when I was little, see, my thing is, is I have a much older brother and a much older sister, and so, you know, they were into stuff like this. And, you know, I mean, shit, what are we? We were probably comparable in age to Heather O'Rourke, the little girl who played Carol Ann yeah, when this movie came out. Yeah, I was age when they came out. Right. And so, you know, you're going to identify more with the kid who gets fucking eaten by her closet than, uh, than anything else. Well, and yeah, so, because you're that age. Right, and so it's much more threatening from that angle you know if it happened to her what's going to stop it from happening to you and 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 then on top of it because i had much older siblings and my father who taped everything um so you know they could watch it as many times as they wanted to i was i had a real problem with okay my curiosity drives me like if i want to know something there is very little that can be done to stop me from finding out whatever it is that i want to know and so, and it was even worse as a kid because I hadn't yet mastered, you know, that little thing that some people like to, to uh, refer to as self-control. And so, you know, my, my sense of curiosity would put the spurs to me. And even though I knew I didn't want to know the answer, I would go looking for it anyway. And so I became the master of what we called in my family the accidental walkthrough. Except it was accidentally on purpose. And it would be like, oh, I just have to go through the room because I forgot my toy over here. And then you'd linger in the room for however long you could until you got kicked out of the room. Yes. And I would do this with Poltergeist and every fucking time. It was either the part where the fucking tree eats Robbie, where Carol Ann gets sucked into her closet, or most common was where the guy has his little trip out and is ripping his face off. Oh, and he's ripping his face off. Yeah. And that scene where he's ripping his face off was, I mean, it was, I, I lived in terror that I would accidentally see it, and yet, of course, I would still walk through the fucking room. <laughs> so, for those who haven't seen Poltergeist, which I don't think is anyone, and if you haven't seen Poltergeist, go see Poltergeist. Seriously. Yeah, it's, seriously. It's a classic, it, it's a classic of the genre, it's, it it's still a horror staple. To this day. It's a horror staple. Oh, yeah, it, it has yeah. aged amazingly well. Oh, it has, and it's, it, it came out in 1982, and it's, I, I, honestly, the gist of the whole thing is it's a family who, who are being haunted by an entity in their house that pretty much steals their youngest child, which is played by Heather right. Ward, away, and it's them trying to get their child back. She's and in the, the house somewhere, but, yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's fucked up. I mean, it really... Uh, with Poltergeist, Poltergeist is one of those movies where I first saw it and it freaked me out. I saw it when I was about maybe, what, 15, 16. I didn't watch it until I was, like, in my teens. Right. I, I didn't it watch notorious. it until I was in my 20s because I was so scared of it. Well, it was so notorious. And so I watched it when I was in my teens, and it was really scary. And then I saw it multiple times after that. Like, when I was in my 20s and, and up into, like, 30s, it was always on fucking cable. Right. Oh cable and i would just sit and watch it and i kind of got desensitized to it so i stayed away from it for about maybe like five years uh-huh. and i just watched it again after like five or six years watched it again a couple nights ago for the podcast 
and that movie fucking freaks me out. I never, I forgot how intense that movie is. And uh-huh. then I watched it again, and I was, like, sitting there bug-eyed watching it on my computer screen going, oh, my fucking God. Uh, and I was just thinking the entire time was, if I was an audience member back in the 80s watching this, I would have shit myself. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Oh, and yeah. The sad part about it is, is the film has become so cliched because it's so popular and it's... Well, yeah, it's, it's been it's been ripped that, off so many times. Oh, yeah, that it's not... I mean, to be uh, honest, to a modern-day horror audience, it probably wouldn't be as scary... But if you do go back and you're, if you're a young horror fan listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Poltergeist seen it and you don't know much about it. Dude, you broke up completely. Think about it being in the 1980s and think about it, how you would, you know, watch it through those eyes. And I swear to God, it will fucking freak you out. Uh Uh-huh. No, it's a... It's a fucking story. Well, and the thing is, is it's it's so much more than just the horror aspect, and that's what actually surprised me when I was, uh, when I did finally watch it when I was, like, I don't know, 21, 22. Uh-huh. What surprised me about it was that um, it, I, you could make the argument that, I mean, don't get me wrong, this is a horror movie. But you could honestly make the argument that it is actually a family in peril movie that is just set against the backdrop of a haunted house, basically. Oh, no, I agree with you on that. I think the fact that it is a family that is as close and as normal as it is right. is imperative to the feel the of threat, the threat, basically. Because you like these people. These are... these are You do. This is a... a, a you know, because the movie... I mean, God. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I just know I just fucking locked up um, basically so like any horror fan probably already knows the movie is uh, is supposedly directed by Toby Hoover but most people and myself included in that believe that it's directed by him in name only and that uh, it was uh, Steven Spielberg who did oh, most no, of the I directing agree with you on that. Because I think what it is with the film is, if you watch the film, like I was watching it last night, you can see certain shades of Toby Hooper in certain scenes, and then a lot of shades of Steven Spielberg. See, I don't film. even see, I don't see any I see it, but Toby I mean, Hooper. it's very sparse to see Toby Hooper. I don't see any that. Toby Hooper in this. I think film. Th- thematically, yeah. this movie is closer in theme. It, it feels like it could have been a bookend to E.T. to me. about it too is all of the like little subtle things that are implied 
that convey the idea that this is is a real loving family. Um, it's implied that well, well, for starters, Diane, the mother, had to have been um, she was sixteen when they had their oldest, Dana. She's thirty two in the movie, and Dana's sixteen. Yeah, and, and the fact that yeah, and so the <laughs> fact that they're still together since you know from examples set by my family having a kid at 16 is the surest way to end a relationship uh <laughs> no seriously but uh and you know the fact that they managed to not only stick it out but they've made something successful out of their lives you know they're doing really well steven is a, a very very successful uh realtor in fact he's he's selling into the property uh, or what's the, the community that he himself lives in Cuesta Verde and and it's just you know they, they've, they've sort of achieved the suburban dream basically because uh, you know they've they've got the the house they've got the kids you know Diane they're obviously doing okay enough that Diane can stay at home and be a housewife yes and uh and so, you know, they, they come across, it's, it, they're just like this totally normal, loving family. And, but there's all of this, like, great subtext that's given. Like, you know, like, there's the, the great scene where, at the beginning, where Diane and, and Steven are smoking pot in their bedroom. Yes. And she's telling this story true. about when she was little and she went sleepwalking. And yes. her dad had her checked out for, like, hickeys and bruises. And they're both giggling as they're smoking the pot, you know. And one thing that I, I caught, I actually caught this for the first time this time, and I have seen this movie God only knows how many times, but when, uh, the night when everybody ends up in bed together, and that's, it's right when Carol Ann says that they're here line, when yes. the earthquake hits them, and Steven wakes up and he reaches across the children and puts his hand in Diane's hip, like, automatically. Yes. And I thought that that was a great touch that shows, you know, how deeply entrenched this family is with each other. Yes, I think the thing about um, the film, which I think, uh, honestly, I don't think that the film would have worked without this, was the dynamic between everyone in that family, between Stephen and Diane, who was Craig T. Nelson, and... Um, Joe Beth Williams. I just like, and Joe Beth Williams, and the three children felt real. Yes. They felt 100% real. Like, I, I, if I didn't know better, I would have assumed that Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson were married oh, in yeah. real life. Oh, yeah, totally. Because they had that rapport, like a married couple, and... That without that feeling of this is a real family, this is like Joe Schmo who lives next door, this right. could be my family, the terror wouldn't be even half as scary right. as it was. You're worried not just for, you know, the individuals, but you're also worried for the family dynamic. Because And you're not a Sorry, you're not only worried about that, but you're worried about thinking, well, if this could happen to a family like this, this could happen to me. Exactly. And that's what exactly. was so terrifying about it. Was well, it wasn't, you weren't in a gothic, you know, Right, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's not some 200-year-old castle or something, it's a house that the husband no. built, basically. Yeah, this, you weren't in a, in a gothic castle, you weren't with a bunch of, like, old British people, you weren't in a house full, full of strangers or some ancient family, you were in suburbia, southern California, in the middle of total like mundaneness right and this shit happened and that's what w 
was so terrifying about that film. And as a as a young person, I was not really. I was a kid. I was like you know fifteen, sixteen. But it, it, that that's what scared me about Poltergeist was it felt like you know I came from a pretty normal. I mean the family in Poltergeist was very much the family dynamic I grew up in. Right. Exactly. And that's what scared me was thinking this shit could happen in my house with my mom and my dad and my sister. Right. And that's what terrified me. Well, and and the other thing too is is you know not only are you hope trying to protect the family dynamic, but you really get the sense from all of them, you know, when they're together and interacting even on a, a basic level that there's something really precious here. Yes. You know, there there is a very real and and very valuable love that they have for each oh, yes. other. And it's it's shown in the most basic ways, you know, again like Stephen and Diane smoking pot in bed. And just, you know, the fact that, that they're willing to do stuff for their kids, like when Tweety the bird dies and Diane's going to flush oh. him and then Carol Ann walks in on it. And so they have to have the funeral and, the you know, they have to put the picture in with him and, and the, the rose and, you know, and the licorice and then the, the, the napkin so he doesn't get cold, you know. and Yes. And, and there's just a, but, it, but at the same time, it's not, it doesn't come across as insincere. It's the kind of thing you d- would do for your kids. Yeah, it really came across as sincere, and um, like I said, it was a very close family dynamic to what I grew up in, and that's what I liked so much is they, I don't know how they did it, but they really captured that dynamic of the family in suburbia in the 80s, perfectly. Well, and the thing too, part of the reason why Poltergeist scared me so bad is I am originally from Southern California, and we lived, um, we grew, when I was little, we lived on naval bases. And you want to talk about someplace where every fucking house looks just like the one next to it? Oh, yeah. You know how easy it is? I grew up on military bases, and I still get lost on the damn things. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, there's a lot of chunks in Serbia, especially in Southern California. I, li- I grew up in Northern California, so it was a little older area I grew up in. So, yeah, the houses didn't all look alike. But there were sections of Northern California that looked like exactly like the areas in uh, Poltergeist. Yeah. That I remember. I mean, it's. I mean, that's suburbia. They painted a picture perfect um, portrait of of Middle America, right, right there. Right, and you know, and, and like the, the very real concern that Diane, you know, Diane's paranoid about the swimming pool that Carol Ann's going to fall into the pool and drown, and that actually dates the movie now because uh, anymore. I know in Washington, and I think in all fifty states, it's actually required by law that if you have a. a swimming pool you have to have it gated because too many children yeah. drown in them oh yeah there it's it's down here too but, and i'm sure there's laws about construction too so that does date the film but it's not well it's though so to be fair with the construction though they said in the movie that it was a uh, it was a housing complex that was known for having very uh, liberal construction rules because remember when he was sure. trying to sell it to the the potential customer how he had his neighbor who had built the jacuzzi in his room and and had yeah, an, aqu- sure had an aqueduct that ran out into the wading pool, and it was on like Better Homes and Gardens or something like that. Yeah. So, like oh, the agree. the actual building of the swimming pool, I didn't have a problem with, but just the fact that it wasn't fenced. Yeah, but well, the thing was, it wasn't fenced because they haven't even started. Well, right, it wasn't uh, done. It, it was just a giant hole. Right, the shell backyards. hadn't been poured. But uh, and it, it's funny too because when I was little and I would watch it, I would identify with Carol Ann, of course, because we were of a comparable age. And now that I'm older, I identify with Diane and Steven. And I cry. I, I, I do. I cry repeatedly every time I watch this movie. 
It's really heartbreaking, and a, a lot of credit goes to Jobeth Williams acting as a mother. You really feel for her yes. when she... When, I mean, when you look at it, like I said, once again, it's become really cliche about, oh, the little girl getting... not not really sucked into the TV, but she's sucked into the other world and they communicate with her through the, through the TV, TV that's right? on she's pulled into her closet. and all that. And yeah, it's cliche, but it, like I said, watch the film again with a clear mind of going into an eighties audience because watching Joe Beth Williams just try to communicate with her daughter who she cannot be anywhere near right. and her poor daughter who's screaming through that entire scene. You hear her screaming, mommy, help me, help me, mommy. And she can't do anything about it. Right. She's, she's trying to shush the TV. She's trying to shush the TV. Well, the part that gets me, that makes me like ball initially is when they're out saving Robbie, because basically the house attacks and it attacks Robbie first, the, their son, who's the middle child. Yes. He's and afraid of the... did that whole thing as a distraction. Yeah, it was a distraction to get everybody out of the house so the house Which could take Carol Ann. so fucking cold-hearted yes. when you think about it. Yes, oh. and the part that gets me, though, that just breaks my heart is when she's hanging on to her bed and she's screaming for her mother. and But, you know, they can't hear her because they're outside trying to save Robbie from being eaten by a fucking tree. Yeah. And then when her bed frame breaks and she goes shooting into the closet and she's still clutching that broken piece of bed frame. Like yes. it's going to do That's any a very good. Spielberg moment right yeah. there. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Is. And then the part when, you know, when they're in the house trying to find her immediately afterwards and they find, yes. they're pulling everything out of the closet and they think they found her body wrapped in the blanket and it turns out it's the clown. Yeah, I, I think the part that affected me the most in that scene was while they're pulling they're pulling the things away from the bed and the teenage daughter runs to help. I mean, I right. don't know what it was about that moment that made me go, oh yeah, this is a family that really gives a shit about each well, other. Well, yeah, and then, but... then you feel awful for poor Robbie, too, because he's in shock, and yet now, you know, he's just sort of left there because now they've got to figure out where the hell Carol Ann went. Mm-hmm. And that's when he wanders into their room and starts to hear her hear carol ann through the tv oh yeah and that that boy was great yeah he I don't was know what it is about him but he that poor kid that robbie was i think out of all of them got the short end of the stick boy no <laughs> shit and you know the funny they thing that too is that poor boy's a decoy in like every fucking yeah, film no <laughs> kidding. And, and i loved i loved uh the casting for him because the thing is is Little kids go through this phase. It's it's right as they lose their baby teeth and start to grow on their permanent teeth. That awkward phase. Yeah, where you kind of yes. look like a horse. Like like in me, it was yes. really pronounced. I looked like Mr. Ed in, in several of my school photos. He was obviously going through that phase right there. Right, with the but teeth and you all know, that. anymore they don't show kids going through that phase. That, and so the kid was going through an awkward phase. He looked like a real little boy. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, he kind of had the snaggle teeth, but you know, so did I bet so did everybody else in his classroom. Oh, fuck, I had the snaggle teeth. Oh, I did too. You know, it's like you've lost one tooth and it's growing in and then you lost the other one and maybe this one's a little further grown in. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, he's just going through that uh, unfortunate, awkward, you know, teeth too big for his mouth, but they won't be once the rest of him, you know, catches up. Mm-hmm. And, and that adds, again, to the realism of the movie. Oh, yeah. I think the realism and the feel of the family was key in this film without that it would have just totally suffered yeah and um the um the other thing i was just noticing was uh, after watching it was this was um one of the few haunted house films that i watched that was pretty much a you know industrial lights and magic extravaganza you know Uh 
but it worked. It was not one of those movies where you were like, oh, well, the special effects, blah, 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 blah. No. It, it really felt real. Like, you would look at them and go, that's a fucking ghost. You yeah. were like, oh, when well, they did you know, this I, and they did that. You know? I was actually thinking, as I was watching it, that I really wish that they would return to effects like this. Well, the practical effects were brilliant in that film. The only time where, and it's, it's actually the scene that scared you the most. I know, it's when, he, when he's ripping his face off. It's the only one that's yeah, really that's, dated. That's the only one that didn't stand the test of time is when he's ripping off his own face. And, right. And it, it obviously looked like, yeah, I'm ripping the skin off a dummy. Well, and, and somebody's standing there with their head craned back awkwardly while the fake head is sort of balanced yeah, on their exactly. chest and they're ripping the skin off. But that's the, but that's the only scene. The right, the right. I mean, the effects definitely stand the test Especially of time. when the uh, the ghost comes down the stairs. Oh, that's a beautiful scene. I know, scene. and I really wish that they would return to doing things like that. I wish they would, too, because, I mean, uh, that wasn't any CGI. And the thing about this, that was, it was so, it's still flawless. You look at that and still wonder how they did it. In fact, this is the cool thing about this film that I always, I always think back on this moment of my childhood uh-huh. was... I went to the Marin County Fair, where um, Industrial Light and Magic is kind of based, uh-huh. up in Northern California, and there was a whole um, exhibition area that was all about Lucas films. Oh, cool. And they had models from Star Wars, and Indiana Jones, and Young Sherlock Holmes, and Roger Rabbit, and all these, you know, all the films that Industrial Light and Magic worked on. Right. It was this really great, you know, um, thing, and they had scenes from Poltergeist, you know, and the one thing I always remember, and it, and it kind of made me, was one of the reasons I got really affected into, I kind of want to go into theater and film and all that, which obviously I never really did fully, but <laughs> I, um... They were talking about the scene in Poltergeist where Joe Beth Williams goes to run to get into the children's room. This is the climax of the film. Right. And that entity forms in the front hell of the hellhound room. or whatever it is. The hellhound. And they talked about how they filmed that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to watch that film later on. Right. Because I was like, I know how they did that. I'm not too freaked out. Was they, that was a model, it was a puppet. Right. And they filmed the whole thing, not really underwater, but in some sort of like gel uh-huh. that raised everything up and moved like water but did not create the bubbles right like which water. explains why the the way the hair on the thing moved exactly and stuff. so that whole thing was shot underwater right more or less but not water but it was like it was like a gel gelatin type of substance and i thought that was really fascinating how they did that and i i mean it really intrigued me to want to find out more of how they did the special effects in poltergeist just because i mean that looked fucking real i'm sorry yeah. but that was terrifying hell yeah you can call me a chicken all you want, but that was scary. That and uh, the other part, the, the effects that I think were, in terms of scary, I mean, other than the obvious, like the skeletons in the swimming pool. Oh, God. But the actual, oh, God, you know, like, like the actual created special effects was the skull, the giant skull that yes. pops out of the closet when uh, Steven tries to pull Diane back out. And oh, then... Yes. Uh, uh, the sort of esophagus that forms in the kid's closet. Oh, that thing. It's like a birth canal esophagus thing. Yeah. I don't know what that thing is, but it's terrifying. I just described it as an esophagus because it was like it was trying to swallow the children, basically. Well, the thing about that is you actually see that after that film came out, you see that a lot in other films. Like, uh-huh. you see that in Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh-huh. You see that in a lot of other horror films, supernatural horror films. That's kind of become kind of a staple of the mouth to hell yep. type of thing. Is that breathing, like, Maw gestating into the other world. Right. It's like, ugh. 
Like, hell is gonna swallow you. Get on it. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, there's no escape. Yeah. And, um, like I said, the, the, I, I, and I have to admit, out of all the films, this movie has one of the most heart-stopping climaxes uh, in one of those mainstream horror films I have ever seen. I have ever well, seen. yeah, and it Hands so down. effectively does the, the old one, too. It's like, oh, it's, exactly. it's, it's basically, you know, all these bullshit horror movies that come out where everything is solved and then, oh, no, we were just fucking with you despite the fact that that doesn't make any goddamn sense in the context of the movie. This, oh, no, it works for This is what they want to be, the basically. Yeah, that. because, you know, all the shit goes down. They, uh, Diane has to enter into this mouth to the other side that the closet has become to find Carol Ann, and God only knows what she saw in there. She finds Carol Ann, thank God, she, they come shooting out the other side of the portal, and then there's a very tense scene where Stephen has put them in the bathtub that the, he was instructed to fill, and that's another great scene, because you can tell um, that he is just at the end of his line, like when they go to pick or, pick them up, and he yells at him, no, 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 you know, he doesn't even want them touching him. Yes. And he, you know, picks both yeah, of them up. Great. Yeah, I gotta give, I, I, just to rewind a bit, I gotta give Craig T. Nelson a lot oh, of hell credit yes. for being one of the most realistic film dads ever out there. Everything he did read as real as a dad protecting his children and his wife. Yeah. There was nothing about that that felt false or, or anything. There, he, It was brilliant performance. Yeah, and and again, it was there was a lot of like little subtle stuff, like what I talked about earlier where he wakes up and instinctively grabs Diane's hip. But um, what really gets me is when they're talking to Tangina and she says essentially that she will only hear her mother's voice and then they cut to him and you can see that it's like punched him in the gut. Oh yeah. He looks like he wants oh, to cry. Scene where, it's the same scene where, um, where he, where they're saying who is the one she's the most, in, you know, right. Who, who's she most intimidated by. And, you know, Diane says, well, Steven's the one who gives the punishments. And you can see on his face, like, hey, well, yeah. and he says, well, that's not fair. Right. And you can tell that he is really hurt by what he says. By what right. She and says. she obviously didn't want to say it, but, you know, was sort of pushed into it by Tangina. Oh, yeah. he. I mean, it's that whole scene is really a great acting scene just because you can tell that, you know, especially when that scene when he says, you know, hey, that's not fair. And then she, she, Tangina pretty much, you know, our... our sweet little high-pitched midget voice uh -huh. <laughs> the most cliche moment of the film but i love her uh tangina pretty much pushes steven into saying tell yeah. her you're gonna give her a spanking yeah. so she shake herself loose make her answer and, you you know make her answer you and then you know when when um she tells diane tell her to run to the light where she knows that if caroline does run into the light she's going to essentially die right uh, and watching uh, Diane cry and say, I hate you for this. I hate you for this. Uh -huh. It's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. It that's really usually is. the part. That's the other part where I'm crying is. Oh, that part chokes me up. Is, it's, uh, it's literally heartbreaking. And then the scene where earlier when uh, Dr. Lesh and her team first show up and they first call Carol Ann and, and she says, can you say hello to daddy? And you hear her, her tiny little voice say, hello, daddy. And he says, you know, hello, sweet pea, as he turns off the light. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just one of those scenes where you're just like, oh, God. I don't know what it is. Steven Spielberg is the master of manipulating your oh, yeah. ass. That's oh, yeah. And that. when, when because, whatever it is man. is chasing Carol Ann and she runs through her mother, I am in tears by that point. Oh, man. That, that, I, and I don't know. Maybe, I don't, maybe I'm just a sap. But that, that, there are moments about the parents and the it really breaks my heart in a lot of scenes where I'm just like choked up seeing how much they care for their little well, daughter yeah, and, and their whole family. But I mean, there's just, 
I, it's really heartbreaking when they lose their daughter. It's yeah. not, it's not forced. It feels real. You feel like you feel for these people. Oh yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, I don't have any children yet, but I know that when I do have children, you know, if I have to go into the closet to the other side to get my child back, damn it, I'm going to do it. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with me. Hell, I know my sister would probably dive through hell for her son. Right. I mean, I mean that's just how it is in our family. So, and, I mean, and honestly, I think that my dad and my mom would do the same thing for right, me. And that's what right. really breaks my heart through that whole film. Well, and just, again, this is a theme that, that I tend to touch on a lot. And it's it's the, the concept of yearning for someone. Whether mm-hmm. they've died, whether they've been taken from you. And, and it's the fact that you can hope and hope and hope and want and want and want to the end of your being, but that's not enough to bring them back. And for uh, some reason that yearning, it, it really, it really strikes. Maybe it's because, you know, like there's everybody does it. It's not something that you consciously can do, you know, can control. If that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. You know, exactly and, what you're talking about. and so it's just that, that futile, desire for someone that you can't have at this moment and for some reason that's that's a particularly heartbreak i don't know maybe that's why i love phantom of the opera so much but <laughs> for some reason that that strikes a chord with me i don't know if maybe it's because my uh, older siblings frequently lived away from home and so i can remember like at one point i woke up in the middle of the night and started crying because i wanted my older brother but he didn't live with us at that point yeah i think what strikes the with me with this one was that unity family thing. I come from a really close family and that the fact that the mom and the dad were willing to sacrifice everything for their children is something in my family that's pretty commonplace. We're pretty close. I mean, I mean I'm the youngest I, I'm the youngest of two in my immediate family. My dad's the youngest of 14. Jeez. I'm the 56th grandchild in this right, like, wonderful right. Oki family of mine. But the thing is, is all of us know each other. All of us are willing to walk other and and the thing is is that when i'm watching steven and diane go we're gonna you know walk through hellmouth to go right exactly daughter, and it really rings i mean that's i mean my mom would tie a fucking rope around her waist and jump into the hellmouth for me or my sister any right time of the day. right and so with my dad and that's what really well it's the same thing with me and my siblings really i mean we're out. you know i would do that for for any of my brother or sister's children because we're so close yeah exactly i mean you know exactly um, the, and uh, like I said, the, the climax of the film, uh, like you were saying, was about the film was, it, it, it is kind of, I mean, nowadays you see in the horror, like, oh, where the ending fooled you. I mean, honestly, there is two endings. There's the ending. Right. There's two climaxes, there's I would say. there's the ending. Right. And I, I honestly, spoilers to this film, because this film is a classic. Everyone who's probably listening to this film has seen it. And if you haven't, turn off this podcast and go watch it. Right. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Seriously. But there is, um, the, the ending is, you know, they go and they save Carol Ann, they pull her from the beyond, and, and then they, you know, you think that's it. And you see them, you know, packing up They're their packing bags. They're packing up to get the so hell funny. out of there. And the funny part is, is I, I think the scene, it's really subtle, is... They're packing to move, and they have the movers, and everyone's just kind of packing and getting ready to. Move. And Steven's fucking throwing boxes oh, in yeah. the truck, like we are getting the. Fuck oh out yeah, because because at one point Diane's like, you know, watch out for your back, and and he's, he's like, like you know, you, this. we're not we're sleeping gonna... another night here. We're getting while the getting's good, basically. Yeah, and unfortunately they are kind of you know waiting for Steven to come home, 
and they're and it's late into the night and well i don't even uh, think it's that late it's just it's just late enough to put the kids down basically yeah i mean it's probably around eight or nine right you know, it's not the time where you'd put on your pajamas and relax right watch obviously. a little television or something yeah watch a little television kick back it's i mean it's it's early evening it's about bedtime for little kids right and the um that scene where pretty much the entities that were in the house decide to strike back that night. Right. It's well, probably the most terrifying fucking scene Oh yeah, well, uh, I'm sorry. While Diane is, is, di- is, is dying the gray out of her hair that she occurred yes. over, or accrued overnight. Her big gray stripe and then uh-huh. that entity grabs her and rolls her up the ceiling right. on Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, Which is a great though. scene because it's practical and so, you know, they obviously built a rotating set and just rolled her along it. Oh yeah, and she's screaming, and and then the kid, the hell mouth opens again, and I mean, all hell breaks loose, and right. it's probably like, and it never stops. It just starts, and you're like, oh my god, and then it keeps building and building. Right, and it's then just enough time for you to catch your breath, and then it starts of- again. And they're doing yeah. everything they can to keep Diane out of the room. She actually gets thrown out of the house and into the swimming pool, which yes. is where the skeletons pop up. Because by this point in time, you figured out that. The problem here is that Stephen's boss, uh, Mr. Teague, moved Mr. Uh, yeah, <laughs> moved the cemetery, he moved the gravestones, but he didn't move the bodies. Yes. And that's why the spirits are so fucking pissed. Right, and for some reason they fixate on, on Carol Ann because she was born in the house. Yeah. So. And, um... It just pretty much shit hits the fan. There's the Hellmouth. There's the Hellhound. There's poor Diane getting rolled up the ceiling. Right. And well, and the worst part, the, the worst part about the pool, man, she tumbles into the pool. She comes up, and then there's the skeletons all up in her face, and she screams, and she climbs out, and she almost makes it, and then she rolls back down into the fucking oh, pool know. again. Oh, I know. Like, shit. And she's like, no! And she slides down into it. <laughs> neighbors help her out. Sort of. He, they, now the neighbor the pulls her out of the her. pool, but he won't go into the house with her to, to save the kids. I think one of my favorite parts is when she's, the hellhound finally develops and she's screaming, don't touch my babies. And I'm like, that bitch is going to pick up a bat and start beating the hellhound out. Are you kidding? I would have. I would have gone for the she damn totally thing's would've. throat. That is, she wins my bitch of the week. Oh award yeah. Because she was like hardcore. I oh, love yeah. Diane because she would, she was about to just murder for her children. And I was like, you go. Well, she's you essentially, I mean, when you, when you think about it, she's the one who saves the kids both times and not, oh, yeah. not through any flaw of Steven's. I mean, Steven would have been just as willing as she was, but he was, he was the only one who was strong enough to hold the rope yeah. when Diane went into the closet and then he was finishing up, he, he had quit his job, basically. Yeah. And was tying up a few loose ends, and then he was going to come back, and they were all going to get the hell out of there. The thing which I thought was interesting was, um, I mean, it was, uh, what I liked so much about this movie was, yeah, it's about a mother's love for their child, and it was done very subtly. Like, you need to watch the film a few times to really get that angle of it, where in, like, contrast to something like Silent Hill, where it was pretty much, right. you know, a, mother's, <laughs> a mother is God in the eyes of right. child. Right, hammered like, upside your fucking head. Well, and the and thing, too, the nice thing about... Device. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead, God damn Well, it. <laughs> basically, what I was going to say is, is that, you know, whereas in Silent Hill, the father figure is essentially neutered, you know? Well, yeah. And, and yet in Poltergeist, Stephen is still, you know, very intrinsic 
Yeah, he's very able-bodied, not and he's, he's a good dad. Yeah, and he's, you can tell he's tormented by the fact that he can't protect his family from this. Yes. And it's not because, you know, Diane wears the balls in the family or anything like that. It's just because circumstances forced it so that Diane has to be the one to, to deal with it. Yeah. And what I liked so much about that angle was it wasn't beating you over the head with it. It was not, I mean, yeah, I'm a woman and yeah, I like to see a woman have a pair and right. a strong female. But the thing about that is it wasn't beating you over. <sighs> okay, go ahead. It, it turned itself off for some <laughs> damn reason. Did you turn the podcast off? I didn't touch anything. And so, okay, so we're going to be missing like four minutes. So sorry, guys. The garage oh, band no. shit itself. We just had a really good conversation I know, Diane. I know. And awesome. I don't know when it cut off. So that's a sad part. Okay, Basically. Pretty much what we were saying was Diane is a really fucking awesome character because she's very real. Right. And she's not one of those characters that it's all about, you know, bullshit and stuff. So. Right. She's, she stepped up because she had to. Yeah, well, I, I also want to say good for you guys because the podcast going to be four minutes shorter. Than yeah, this. no kidding. This is not our best work. <laughs> With me screaming for my husband and the sound cutting out. Yeah, this is... Yeah. <laughs> me forgetting what the fuck I'm talking about and leaving moments Our of dead silence. People. Anyway, what we were saying was Diane was actually a really great character because of the fact that what we were comparing it to Silent Hill in terms of Silent Hill was a, char- was a movie where they kind of pounded you over the head with the mother is the eye you know god in the eyes of a child and right blah, 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 blah. where in poltergeist it was very much more real where she did do everything she could to save her children it, it, to the best of her abilities right. but they didn't force it down your throat it wasn't i am she woman right it, it was, wasn't it wasn't because she yeah. was a ball breaker it was because she was a mother basically yeah and steven and, was a very well-rounded right and too. steven and you know, that happens. Right. And would have humans. Right. Stephen would have done the same thing Diane did had circumstances permitted it. In yeah, fact, was- you can tell Stephen wanted to be the one to go in to get Carol Ann, but like I said before, no one else was strong enough to hold the rope. Yeah. And the thing is, is um, I liked that because it didn't, it, it wasn't patronizing. It wasn't like you were trying to get some big feminist message. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I walk the fine line on femini- you know, feminism. I, right, right. I like movies that have empowered females, but I don't like empowered females that are all about, you know, ball busting. Right. I'm a woman and I have to do everything better, stronger, and right. faster than the men. I just like real women in my film. And Diane was a woman that was very real to me. And right. that's why she wins my awesome bitch of the week. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> award. Hell yeah. Yeah, you got to respect a woman that not only is going to walk through whatever to get her child back, but then oh. mere hours later <laughs> basically has to fight with her house to get her children out well, after you, taking like a dip. saying earlier before we got cut off was that whole scene where the hellhound pops up and she's screaming, don't touch my babies at them. And it's obviously that she was terrified, but you know that she was about to go get a baseball bat and start beating the fuck out of that hellhound exactly. in two seconds flat. I mean, well, you just knew it. Well, yeah, and I mean, any woman who goes swimming in an undead swimming pool and yet still is like, fuck that, I'll deal with the skeletons in the swimming pool later. Right now, I got to get my kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to give her credit. And Jo Beth Williams' performance was brilliant oh, yeah. in that respect. Everything about her was believable. It oh, yeah. was just overwhelmingly beautiful, that performance. Yeah, I really feel that the same way about everybody's performance. And then, of course, 
part of, I think, what adds to the poignancy of this movie is the fact that so many people died that were involved in it. Dominique Dunn, oh, yeah. the, the, the girl who played Dana, their oldest daughter, was murdered was by her murdered. boyfriend shortly after the premiere of this movie, I do believe. Yeah, and then Heather O'Rourke passed away because of um, complications from with Crohn's uh, disease. It was, it was a disease she had. She had it? Crohn's disease, but something it was. They call it on on IMDb. They said it was like intestinal stenosis, but I don't know if that's actually correct. It from what I heard, right, but... it was like something. She was on the operating table, and either I don't know if it was accident or if it was if it was um, doctor negligence. But her intestines ruptured, basically. Yeah. And she and, died uh, of sepsis. But I mean, it was, it's very heartbreaking to see Jo Beth Williams' character just fighting for everything. She was going to just put her life on the line. And it was for her children. And it was so believable. Yeah. And, and honestly, in the credit of Stephen, Stephen would do the same thing, too. There was nothing about the character of Stephen that Craig T. Nelson played that wouldn't make me think that he, I mean, I mean, we're focusing a lot on Diane just because it would we're females and we connect. Right, right. That's who we're Diane going character. to identify with. But in, in, on the other spectrum, Stephen, as played by Craig T. Nelson, was this character that was so believably real. He wasn't like the douchebag, you know, disembowel, you know, dis, you know, castrated, you know. Right, male. right. He the... was a real guy who was a father and a. Man and, and the provider and, you know, for his family. You could tell that was a big part of his personality. And, you know, he was willing to fight for his children and his wife. And, and it was very obvious when, you know, he's trying to save his, you know, children in the climax of the film. And he's trying to get into that house. And he's about to freaking disembowel his boss when he right. found out that he moved, they didn't move the Right, head, the whole, the bodies. you, you moved know? the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies, you son oh, of a bitch. That's, that line, I don't know what it is about that line that gives me chills oh, like yeah. the way Chris Nelson screams you you move the bodies or you move the headstones but you didn't move the bodies you just, you, and you just move the headstones and he starts screaming why right that right freaks me out there's see, something you can about see how he's, frenzy he does that. well you can see he's on the verge of hysteria at this point oh, I yeah. mean well, he is on hysteria he yeah I mean hysteria. everybody <laughs> everybody is like at the end of their tether at this point yeah what I was getting to you before, when you realized, oh, we got cut off, was um, <laughs> was and um, that scene, the ending of the film. It doesn't end. It, it, it doesn't end bad. Like it's not a bleak ending. It's not an ending where you're like, oh god, I got to slip my wrist. Right. Now. But it is an ending where it doesn't end like happy roses, sunshine, and no, rainbows. No, they've survived, just, and that's pretty much it. It's just a okay. Everyone survived, and I can breathe it again. And right. Just watching the shell shocked family drive to Holiday Inn and that. Well, yeah, and, and Diane's in her nice shirt, and they're all filthy, and and Carol Ann is like checked out. I mean, her eyes are like totally glassy. Yeah, and the 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 teenage daughter, you know, um, Dana Dunn, who was what was her Dana was the name of the character. Yeah. 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 She. Um, she wasn't in the film a whole lot, but when, I mean, shoot, the, it still gives me chills when she comes up to the house and her boyfriend or whoever she was with drops her off and the house is freaking out and the lights are going right. and she's screaming, what's, what's going on? Yeah, what's happening? What's happening? Oh my God, that gives me chills every time. Well, and, and she's freaked out and the son's freaked out. Everyone's just, and then they throw the TV out the door. Right. The I was like, oh. Well, and you could tell the, the, the daughter, obviously, I mean, Dana really seemed to be the one who 
handled it the worst. Like she, she really yes. had a hard time because there was a scene where she's like, I can't handle this daddy. I can't handle this. I, I, I got to get out of yeah. here. And they're like, that's okay. Go to your friend's house. Go to your friend's house. And she kept saying, I got to go to Lisa's. I can't stay right, here tonight. Right. Right. And, and they, the worst. they send her and, you know, when she comes back and, you know, they, she's done her hair and she's got a hickey on her neck. So obviously. I, I thought I was the only one who noticed that. Thank oh you. no. Well, and then there's the scene where, when she's leaving to go over to her friend's house and, uh, and she's asking her mom, so are we going to stay here tonight? And she goes, no, daddy wants us to stay at the Holiday Inn over on Highway 42 or whatever. And she goes, oh, yeah, I remember that that place. Oh, her mom sure. goes, what? <laughs> oh, um, I'll see you tonight. Yeah, are you going to do anything about this? And she's talking about the the gray. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was pretty fucking hilarious. But, you know, and, and so, you know, she's just been making out with her boyfriend and having a good time. And then she comes back and the fucking house is being eaten by nothing. Yes. You know, and I, I, um, I, I have to admit the ending is, it's probably one of my favorite endings of a mainstream horror film ever is just cause at the end, it's not like you have a moment to go, everything's okay. You just have a moment to kind of catch your breath and go, what the fuck? Right. And we then, survived, but what did we survive basically? Yeah, And then you just kind of really do wonder. I mean, honestly, when I first saw that film. And they're, you know, they go into the Holiday Inn film and they push the TV out and they close the door and the TV's sitting there and that's the end of the film. And I'm sitting there wondering, is that it? Or are they going to continue having to deal with this shit? Right, right. And obviously there's two sequels, so I was well, like, yeah, they I have to deal personally with that shit. But, don't I mean, pay attention to the sequels, but... No, the sequels are okay. I, mean, I like to pretend like that. that in terms of, of this particular movie that nothing weird ever happened again... And they went on and built a nice life for themselves somewhere else. I like to pretend that too, but no, we have Poltergeist 2 with the vomit monster. <laughs> right. And Steven getting so, a horny with the tequila monster. Which me more than first Poltergeist, because I saw the this Poltergeist 2 when I was, like, really young. Uh, like, right after I saw Watchers in the Woods, because my cousin forced me to fucking oh, watch uh -huh. that movie. And that fucking movie scarred me for life with that vomit monster. Well, there was way more. Actually, did you know H.R. Giger designed some of that? Really? I didn't yeah. know that. yeah. He designed the tequila worm that Steven puked up, and oh, I think God, I, hated that I think he designed the uh, braces monster too. Oh my God, I'm scarred for life over the braces monster in the sequel. Yeah, you and like everyone else in our generation. There is something about that scene where you see little Robbie's eye looking at the outlet and that little thing. Uh -huh. getting close. Yeah, there is something about that that induces sheer terror in my body every time I uh -huh. see that. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it's the same way I feel about the fucking blob. I know what you're talking yeah. about, dude. <laughs> there are certain trigger points in, in me, and that's one of them right there. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, Poltergeist, what would you give it? Oh, I recommend purchase. I recommend. This is a classic. You know, it's funny. It went from being the terror of my childhood to becoming one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing with me. I, um... It's a classic. If you haven't seen it, what are you waiting for? Go fucking see it. Right. It's a brilliant classic of the genre. It's breathtakingly good. And if you, and yeah, it's cliche now because it is. Because it's everything so well ripped done. it off, basically. This was yeah, the original. I mean, this was the original that started all those cliches. So when you go to watch it, watch it with an open mind. Just clear your head. Put yourself in the, the shoes of an audience back then uh -huh. and watch it. Because I oh. guarantee you, if you do that, you will be fucking blown away oh, by yeah. this movie. Well, and did you did you get my text yesterday when I, I said, did you catch the strawberry shortcake doll in there? I didn't see that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Cindy and I have been, you know, reliving our childhood via <laughs> eBay. And strawberry shortcake has been the, 
Yeah, well, we've the watchword. We've been totally bidding on strawberry shortcake. Yeah, it's on, it's on pretty eBay. fucking sad. It's pretty obsessing. fucking sad. Well, I'm sitting there and I I watched Poltergeist. I watched Watcher in the Woods and then I watched Poltergeist one right after the other yesterday. And I'm sitting there in the scene where the closet starts to consume their bedroom, and then uh-huh. Caroline is sucked into it. On her bed with her, she had a strawberry shortcake doll. It was a uh, raspberry tart. <laughs> she had raspberry tart. Yeah. Awesome. You see her. You see her roll off the bed in slow mo. It's when all the shit comes out from underneath the bed with the glitter, like the roller oh skates my God, and everything. Watch that again now. Yeah, right before then, raspberry tart rolls right off the bed. That's fucking awesome. Yep, that's how much <laughs> of a nerd I am. Awesome. Well, that's our current obsession right now, our strawberry shortcake yep. doll. So um, I'm sure next week, our next show, we're going to have a completely different obsession. Yeah, it'll be something else. It'll be My it's Little Ponies. It's going to be something retarded, I'm sure, but that's okay. It's okay. It was the 80s. Like that that kind of sums it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, go check it out. And the other thing, too, actually, is speaking of 80s toys... Their bedroom is like a great little chunk of 80s nostalgia. Oh, fuck it. Yeah, every single 80s toy that you can possibly think of, except for that fucking clown, God, who, is in that bedroom. Who gives children toys like these? I'm going to say this. An uncle that fucking hates children. Yeah, somebody who doesn't have kids. That's who's giving them. I mean, even before that's, the yeah. clown went all rah, 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 and tried to kill Robbie, that that's clown fucking was fucking terrifying man. looking. That sorry, clown that thing was, terrifying. was the source uh, that was was another scene that I saw, and I, I don't even think I saw the part where Robbie was choked. I think it was just the scene where because it obviously bothered Robbie, and he throws jacket on it, mm-hmm. his Chewbacca jacket. Yep. And I would see scenes like that, and just the tension would kill me, basically. And so oh, I hated that little thing. Oh fuck! It's it's horrible. And the thing that cracks me up is that's actually one of the reasons why I love Scary Movie Two. When uh, when <laughs> Ray rapes the clown doll, <laughs> it's yes. like yes, childhood yes. vindication. My favorite part of that movie is, what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> You're all like, fuck you, clown. Pretty fuck much. She wrote in on. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. You're not gonna yeah, be choking know, kids anymore, are you, fucker? Toy ever imagined. Well, ever, it's it's ever, hideous. Ever. It's huge. I mean, Carol Ann obviously had no problems with it because she had it in bed with her at one point, but... Well, Carol Ann's kind of a creepy little kid anyway. No, she so wasn't. Go, she so. was adorable, but little kids tend to be a little bit more forgiving. It's... it's. I can see why it bothered Robbie. And then who who, oh, who just puts me. it... Who just puts it in a chair to stare at you while you sleep? I know. Uh, uh, retards. That's all I can say. She, people That's who don't horrible, like children. Supposedly... Yeah. Whoever bought that toy for Robbie should be shot. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Beaten. Supposedly, again, I don't know how true this is, but on the IMDb trivia, apparently uh, the little boy who played Robbie was almost strangled into unconsciousness by that scene where the clown, where he's fighting with the clown under the bed. Oh my god. Because the prop was too tight around him, and he said, at one point he says, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and they thought he was ad-libbing, and then his face turned purple. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> scarred for life as an adult yeah pretty much oh fuck and apparently too there was also a a rumor for the longest time that he had also died but to the best of my knowledge he's still alive and i think he does documentaries i don't know i never followed his career but i'm pretty sure the only ones who died were the four the um yeah it was the uh, harother o'rourke and um, dominic dunn Dominic Dunn, and then the guy who was the Indian shaman in the sequel, and Kane, yeah. who was in the sequel. Right. I mean, the and guy who played Kane knew he was dying. Rubenstein died just recently, but yeah, I mean, but I don't think we can count that. Out, so. 
But, um, oh, I was going to say something. Oh, Dominique Dunn. Um, she's actually Griffin Dunn's sister, the guy who plays uh, Jack in uh, An American yeah, Werewolf in London. American Werewolf, yeah. And their father is Dominic Dunn, who does Power, Privilege, and Justice on uh, uh, Court TV. He actually died just uh -huh. a couple of, uh, just just real recently. He was in his 80s. Huh. But it was actually really impressive because the it was her long-term boyfriend who killed her. He strangled her into brain death. Yeah, and they I remember eventually about that. they unplugged her, and he only I mean he only served something obscene like five years or some shit uh, like that. Fuck. Well, her parents I am so impressed they fucking went to bat. Basically, the guy gets out. He gets he was a, he was a chef. He gets another job, and so they basically printed up flyers and handed them out to everybody that went into this country club, saying the hands that prepare your meal are the hands of a murderer. And oh, shit. Uh, yeah, and they were actually huge in the uh, victims' rights campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so the son of a bitch got out, and he's somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Hooray. Oh, congratulations. But I'm willing to bet. So I think he changed his name, but I'm willing to bet her family knows exactly where he's at. I wouldn't be surprised. I hope so. I'm sure they Son of a yeah. bitch. But oh, yeah, so. Jackass. So, I, I, you know, there is something positive that came out of something this horrible, and that's that yeah, they true. were really instrumental in victim's rights. Yeah, that, that's the one thing that her case did. So at least, you know, one good thing came out of it. Right. But that's a shame because she had a lot of potential to be Yeah, a really she really did. Actress. She was just starting to take off and he had some huge jealousy issues and she wanted to break up because he was so controlling and he attacked her. So ladies, if you're listening to this, don't date douchebags. Yeah, that's pretty much. Right here. you got a real Seriously. guy with a jealousy problem. You might want to rethink if, that relationship. If, if you need me and Stace to go, rough them up. Oh, we'll do yeah. it. Oh, I'm a totally. biter. That's a hobby of mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a biter. We'll go into that next episode. <laughs> Speaking so, of next uh, episode. Yeah. Speaking of next episode, we are actually doing our first ever listener's choice episode next episode. And we'd like it's to do, at least fun. I would, I'd like to do something really weird and obscure. So if, yeah. yeah, so no, don't be like, hey, do the Evil Dead movies. I mean, there are a thousand podcasts out there who have done them. We would have nothing new to say about these. So think of a movie that you like that no one else has ever seen and mm -hmm. mention it to us. Yeah, and you can uh, recommend it on our um, blog space, the creepykitch.blogspot.com. Uh, you can also put it on our Facebook page. If you just search for Creepy Kitch on Facebook, you'll find us on Facebook now. Or you can email it at our new email at creepykitchgals at gmail.com. Um, we're going to pick two from all the recommendations we get, and we're going to watch them for episode five. That's right. And maybe if we get, like, enough suggestions, you know, we can have a pool to draw from and do another listener choice you know, a yeah, couple episodes down the road. We'll be able to do a couple listeners choice episodes. Yeah, because be awesome it's going to be boring because... if we're just like, hey, I like this movie, let's do that one. Because I would really exactly. like to, to get some that are, I mean, I, I'm not looking forward to watching a shitty movie, but it would be kind of nice to watch one and go, you know, this was really a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so far we've reviewed movies we love. So exactly. <laughs> so come on, not you know. I'm saying go out and find a movie that you think is shit and recommend it to us. I'm just saying that recommend a movie and we will give you our opinion. On exactly. It. Come on, try and shake us up. So also just just um, to let you know, we're going to be thrown off our schedule just a bit. I'm going out of town next week, so uh, Stace is going to be managing the blog and the Facebook page. I while will I'm indeed. Gone, which is going to be fun. Oh yeah. 
it's just gonna be the word crotch over and over again. <laughs> no, that's not true. I like the word fuck far too much to uh, stay away from that one. Write the word Raylan. fuck over and over again. <laughs> fuck, fuckity, pages. fuck, fuck, fuck. Exactly. So um, we're gonna be just for um, please send in those recommendations for listeners' choice. Um, that way we can got we are gonna you know I'll be gone for a week and then we'll have that week to watch the films and then we will do our thing. So we're gonna be off by maybe a week. I don't th- I don't think so though. Why would we we why oh, fuck. Why would we be watching a movie for a whole week? That's no, but if we only do two, you could watch two movies in a week, couldn't you? Oh, true. Well, we'll see. Let's see. Yeah, we can play it by ear. We're gonna have to play it by ear. But anyway, if we're late, that's my fault. So you can totally rag me on that later. Yeah, send her emails and tell her that why you think she sucks. But send it to creepykitchengals at (laughs) gmail.com. So yes, we would very much appreciate that. And I'm sure I will be returning with many stories about the craziness of the SCA. Excellent. It's going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So we're two hours and 16 in, so we should probably cut it off before my computer yeah, explodes I'm or something. Yeah, I'm thinking so, considering uh, we lost four minutes, but hopefully that won't ruin your time here. Yeah. So. Again, this is not our best work, so stick with us, folks. I actually had four glasses of wine, so it's not my best work. I'm just tired. I'm a senior in the history program. I'm tired. We're going to be much more alert next podcast, because she'll be yes. off of school, and I'll be sober. Yes. There you go. What a magical so thought. It's a magical combination right now. <laughs> Sobriety and lack of work. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Right. Have a good night, everyone. Bye.